by any means necessary, you better dig this podcast. Yeah. By by <laughs> any means necessary. By any means necessary. Um. Fun fact. Uh, by any means necessary, you dig and show enough are uh, the phrases like that are like in always in uh, his credits. Yeah, maybe not an old that. boy. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the I think the original old boy credit sequence was supposed to be like that, and then they switched it over to be less spikely. Yeah, I haven't I, seen I was, it. So I was reading on his uh, wiki page that apparently old boy is the only one that's not like a Spike Lee joint because they basically like went behind his back and changed it in the post-production process uh, to make it look more like an orthodox film. But yeah. We demand the Spike Lee cut. Release the Lee cut. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen either version of that movie, so I can't speak volumes. Oh, yeah. You should. I know. I'm, I'm thinking about watching both of them uh, this week. I've been in a more movie mood this week, so. Nice. Nice. Yes. Me too. I watched a lot of Spike Lee movies. Um, <laughs> I wanted to watch some more that weren't, that we didn't have planned, but I only mm-hmm. got around to watching. I just finished... Uh, I think it's called She's Gotta Have It, which yeah, was I his watched. first, it wasn't his, like, first movie, but it was, like, his, his first, first, like, feature, feature length. Like, yeah. he made two two or three student films that were, like, full length or, like, an hour, but mm. that was, like, his first movie, and it was really, it was pretty good. Yeah, I, I watched that one last night. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, no, I liked it. Yeah, it uh, wasn't, like, amazing, but uh, I, knew I, about- I really like the main character. She was actually, like, pretty solid. I thought it was going to be pretty iffy going into it. I'm like, this is going to be bad. (laughs) But I liked it. (laughs) Um, I I knew about, like, the thing that happens at the end. And I was like, oh, God, which one of them is going to do it? Like, the whole fucking movie. Yeah. I I called it. I I knew it was going to be that guy. I was like, this guy is too... Well, I'm not going to spoil it, but... It wasn't as, like scary as I thought it would be. Because <laughs> yeah, I also no. know about that part. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be a little bit more extreme, but thankfully it was a pretty quick scene. Man, so. Spike Lee's character's name in that is Mars Blackman or something like that. Yeah. What a great name. <laughs> um, I, I was reading on his wiki page. I don't know if they made it, but I know that he was approached to do like some Nike commercials with like or maybe not Nike. It might have been. I'm, pre- I'm pretty me, sure. Uh, let me see. For Air Jordans, right? Air Jordans. Yeah, that's what it was. He, he was supposed to do some commercials as like that character. Um, But yeah, <laughs> I find it funny. I like that character. He was pretty funny. I like how he repeated stuff a lot. But oh, th- that is irrelevant to any of the stuff from today's movies. Um, today here, you can have... Here you go. You can have a uh, live reaction 
you can watch the 1991 Spike Lee Nike commercial. Okay. Let's, let I'm pretty see. sure there was a, a couple, um, but that's the only one I could find. <laughs> Spike Lee's characters. You know, what I will say is I'm, I'm pretty happy that Spike Lee, when he makes himself into a character, he's not just like a really good person in it or like he's really he's just kind of a weirdo in the movies yeah. <laughs> like he is in like he's a weirdo and she's gotta have it but he's also like not a great dude and do the right thing <laughs> yeah he's pretty passive through most of the movie um mm-hmm. but yeah so today we're covering do the right thing malcolm x he got game, bamboozled, and Dove Five Bloods. Just um, came out like three weeks ago or something like that. Yeah. Um, um, we're going to be switching up the format a little little more, covering less of like just the scene for scene and more of how we felt on the movies and like the thematic similarities between his directing style, stuff like that. We're going to try to just not be hitting the movie note for note because if you watch the movie, that's boring. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Um, unless unless it's just like, I love rewatching movies in my head. <laughs> yeah. And it should make episodes a bit shorter in the grand scheme of things. I'm sure this one will still probably be like decent length because we're yeah. covering. It just won't be five movies. hours like the Paul Thomas Anderson one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That, that was. <laughs> that was an endeavor. Yeah, I just remember sweating for five hours. I was hours sweating, and, and I, I can feel myself, like, I know I'm going to start sweating in, like, 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just like, have, no. I have to turn my fan off for these episodes, and there was an episode recently where, for, like, we had to take a break partway through. I don't remember what it was, but I, <laughs> I realized for, like, the last, like, ten minutes we were talking, I had the fan on because I forgot to turn it off after the break, and it was like, oh, damn it. But... I'll try not to make that mistake in the future. Um, but, um, have you, did you get a chance to watch anything else this, this week besides Mr. Spike Lee? Uh, I watched uh, one of the One Piece movies. Let me check my letterbox. I might have watched something else, but I don't recall off the top of my head. Um, actually, no, I think that was it. Um, Any good? It was, it was okay. It's pretty... It feels like they just took elements from, like, the first four arcs and kind of, like, blended it together into this narrative. I would say it's, like, a decent, like, starting place if, like, anyone's like, oh, you if know... If I don't want to watch like, the first four arcs? Yeah, well, it doesn't, it doesn't like, adapt the first four arcs, but it oh, kind of, okay. like takes, like, elements from them and kind of, like, remixes it into its own, like, little thing. Um, I would say, like, oh, you know, check it out, but I feel like it's mostly just kind of, like, it doesn't, like, uh, tap into any of, like, the kind of, like, deeper things that, like, I think makes One Piece great. It's just kind of, like, the surface level, like, oh, you know, we're a big pirate shonen in a wacky world kind of deal. Without, like, kind of, like, diving into any of the characters, like, motivations or what drives them. And uh, the kind of, like, obviously you can't really get the scope of the world building at that point in the series. But uh, 
That's like one of the things I really like about One Piece, but yeah, it, it was okay. Like as a hardcore One Piece fan, I thought it was okay. So it had some decent moments, but I wouldn't say it's like a major must watch for anyone. But, okay, yeah. good to know. Good to know because you know I'm a very big fan of um, One Piece. So uh, yes, you know what to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh. it's, it's slow coming, but I'm still working on, uh, a one piece, uh, instead of doing one video, I'm kind of prepping to do like a bunch of like weekly reviews for like the 27, like movies and specials that the series has. So cool. So you can watch that in four days. Just kidding. <laughs> I, maybe. Uh, but yeah, so. uh, I watched a couple other things. I watched Tangled for the first time, which you can go watch our commentary track, me and Pierre's commentary track, on the channel now. We can watch number three. Uh, what'd you think? I thought it was alright. Like, I enjoyed it, but, like, it was probably one of the more generic Disney movies, in my yeah. opinion. And I don't think, like, any Disney movies, like, or most of them are, like, amazing and original, but Tangled was just, like, really generic. I like Flynn Rider fine, and most of the animation has aged really well for being 10 years old, but, like, the music wasn't really doing it for me. Actually, I'll say this. The music itself, like, the backing orchestras and stuff, was was great. I just didn't like most of the lyrics. I thought most of the lyrics were pretty bad. I feel it. Um, which is sad, because I really like Disney musicals usually, so it's just like, what the fuck? The the um, only song that I can even, like, remember from that movie is the, uh, I Have a Dream song. In, like, mm. the tavern. Um, yeah, I hate that song. Yeah, that, that's the only I, one that comes to mind, so the rest um, of them are The one that they did in the me. boat, the, at last I see the lo- uh, that's a good song. That's, that's a good song. The rest I just wasn't feeling. Okay. Um, but I overall still enjoyed it. It just wasn't special, and I probably will never watch it again. Um, <laughs> at least I, I never really want to. <laughs> I feel it. Um, I did also watch, because Tangled got its own animated show seven years after its release on, I believe, Disney XD. Oh. Um, and it it has a really dumb animation style that's obviously, like... It's like this bad 2D animation. It just kind of looks like a Flash animation. Oh, okay. Um, they did it for the Big Hero 6 show as well. But there was an hour-long, like, movie that was supposed to serve as, like, the pilot. So we watched that, and that was actively awful. <laughs> Do you feel right. obligated to watch the entire series now? No, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> That's three seasons. It's like 63 episodes. I'm like, no. Ooh. Yeah, that sounds... Pretty um, bad. Yeah, that wasn't great. However, speaking of Disney, because it did buy the rights to it, I, uh, Hamilton did come out two days ago. Ah, uh, um, yes, I've so I, seen I watched a lot of that the minute it came it. out. Um, and that was great. I'm a, I'm a fan of Hamilton. Yeah, I don't have an active Disney Plus membership, so uh, I shall wait. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's worth it. It's, it's a very good pro shot. It's not, I don't think it is, it's as good of a pro shot as like, 
the fucking Frankenstein we watched. Mm. That was great. Uh, but it, yeah. it's good. It's a good pro shot. Okay. I think everything should have a good pro shot. <laughs> um, I agree. And then, yeah, mostly, oh, so Bamboozled was the first Spike Lee movie I watched out of the five we were covering. Uh-huh. And, which was a really weird place to start, because I feel like I should have watched it last. <laughs> because uh, I'm like, I-, I feel like a lot of it is, like, a, a critique not only on, like, society, but also on his own fucking movies. <laughs> yeah, I can feel that. Um, it was It was kind of like the middle of the road for me. I watched it. Uh, the order I watched him in was kind of weird, because I watched Do the Right Thing, He Got Game, Bamboozled, The Five Bloods, then Malcolm X. I did Bamboozled, He Got Game, Do the Right Thing, The Five Bloods, Malcolm X. Oh, okay. I, okay. I had a feeling that Malcolm X was going to be my favorite, so I'm like, I'll save this one for last. Ah. Because I'm a fan of Malcolm X as the man, so I'm like, yeah, you know. Plus, I, I also wanted to save it because it was really fucking long. Yes, that was. But um, I had seen it before, and uh, it is very fucking long. So that was kind of my reasoning behind saving it for last. But, uh, but I did after watching Bamboozled. I was reading up about it, um, and on the Wikipedia page, there was like a see also or like related viewings, and it was talking about this movie, this documentary, Ethnic Notions which is, like, an hour-long documentary about, like, the history of blackface and, like, stereotypes and stuff. So I watched that. That was fantastic. It was a great watch. Mm. It's really fucking hard to watch, though, also. Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah. because it's like, oof. Yeah, Bamboozled like, was hard enough to fucking watch. Yeah. Bamboozled was maybe the most uncomfortable film. <laughs> Like, there are parts of every other one, but it's just like, Bamboozle is just like, now here's 30 people in blackface. I'm like, oh, ah, run. Yeah. And, oh, man. Oh, the fucking production on that one as well is, uh, you can tell that the studios weren't, like, jumping at the gun to make that movie. Spike Lee's like, fuck it, I'll make it myself. Yeah. Um. Um, yeah, so, and then that's pretty much all I watched. There's a okay. new anime movie called A Whisker Away that came out on Netflix recently. Uh, I watched that. It was okay. Mm. I like anime, but the main characters fucking sucked in that movie. Oh, and I watched Wrinkles the Clown. Which is a documentary that came out last year. Ah, uh, I'm not familiar. Uh, do you remember the big clown craze that went on a couple of years ago where they're like, clowns are, are going, they're scaring people. Yeah. Yeah, it's course. about that. It's pretty much about the inciting stuff that happened. That, oh, okay. That, it's dumb, though. Um, as a documentary, it just isn't very well crafted. Mm. And the first half is just kind of boring. Second half's oh, okay. better, but not by much. Huh. Yeah, but that's that's about what I've been up to this this week, Roo. Obviously, I've been working again, uh, walking a lot. I've been trying to walk every day, five miles a day. Oh, nice. Some weight. Yeah, I've 
I've kept up for two two weeks now, five miles a day. Let's see how long I can keep this up. Yeah, just just keep going. Mm-hmm. Don't stop once or else. I have an app and it says like, hey, good job, you did it. And you know, things things that say good job to me, that's how I keep things up. I'm like, oh fuck yeah, I'm getting awards. I'm getting like, yo, you did 13 days in a row. I'm like, fuck yeah, man. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see how that would set off like the little serotonin thing in your brain. Just like, oh yeah, yeah. that makes me feel good. But yeah, any uh, any questions this week? Uh, we do have some questions from Pierre. He just <gasps> sent them in uh, 13 minutes ago. Oh, <laughs> he wow. He probably was like, I, I walked out there at, right as he was waking up to grab my microphone because I left it out there when we recorded Ween Watch. Ah. And he probably just sent it like right afterwards. I see. All right. Question number one. I really want you to think about this. You have the power to completely erase any piece of media, film, show, book, etc., from existence. What do you erase? Oh, fuck. Um, that's 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 a stumper right there. Let me think about that. Um, any film, any piece of media. You know, I want to get rid of uh, Birth of a Nation. Uh, that's what my pick was going to be. And it's <laughs> not just, you know, I haven't seen Birth of a Nation. Eventually, I do want to watch it on the podcast. Yeah. But I feel like that being such a, like, pivotal movie for, like, filmmaking history and how like deeply ingrained the racism is in that movie and the book it's based off of i just feel like it's led to a really like really bad things and i feel like if we just got rid of it maybe the thing that would take its place would be much better oh yeah no that movie is like fucking almost like completely responsible for like the rebirth of like the KKK in the yeah, early 20th century. Yeah, and I'm like, century. I feel like any other movie coming out Woodrow Wilson had helped a lot and he's even like quoted in the film and he screened it at the White House. But it's Yeah, like, he screened it at the White House and he's like this is a piece of history right there. History yeah, rewritten on the silver screen or something like that. Historian. Fuck um, you, Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. No, fuck that guy. <laughs> but yeah, we have the exact same answer. Yeah, so... I, um, either that or um, the B-movie. I'm tired of seeing B-movie memes everywhere. Yeah, if I had to pick an alternate <laughs> one, it would be the Brown Bunny. I don't like that movie. You really don't like that movie. I should pick uh, yeah. that movie. <laughs> if, if you pick it, you gotta pick Buffalo 66 decided, because I want to do an episode comparing the two at some point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... Alright, question number two. Do you like Spider-Man when he had six arms? Uh, I I do. I like I like most forms of Spider-Man. Um, I think that the six-armed Spider-Man is a pretty good one. I think the version I'm most familiar with, where he has the six arms, is like from like the old '90s animated series where uh, he uh, is kind of like. 
becoming more mutated and more spider-like as he, like, just continues on, like, as just mutation is mutating over time, and he has to kind of, like, rush My mutation is mutating! Oh, no! Yeah, so he's like, oh, no, I gotta, I gotta find a way to stop this, uh... So if he if he wasn't actively fighting his mutant spider inner demons at that point, I feel like he could have gotten a lot of stuff done with those extra forearms. But yeah, yeah, I I I am also a fan. I'm not super familiar with it. Um, I I I think I have. I think I've read the first comic where, like, he gets the six arms, but not, like, that entire saga. I would like to read more, though, so. Mm. Okay, and final question. Would you rather have the ability to read David Lynch's mind or see whatever he is currently doing? Uh, I think that... Ah, man, those are both, like... You can watch David Lynch poop. Like, I feel like both of these are just, like, insane breaches of privacy. I guess probably just see what he's doing, because I feel like that's less an invasion of his space than, like, reading his own, like, personal thoughts. But then you can know what kind of weird fucking kinks David Lynch has. I feel like there are some things better left to for, for mysteries. I feel it. Yeah, um, I'd probably also just want to see what he's up to, so I can be like, wow, he's watching a movie on his telephone. Yeah, it'd be like being John Malkovich, except it's David Lynch. Being David Lynch. That'd be epic. That would be epic. Alright, thank you for the questions once again, Pierre, and uh, like always, fuck you. Um, <laughs> So today, we're talking about Spike Lee. Let's talk a little bit about him as a guy. Um, I believe his birth name was fucking Sheldon or some shit. Yeah, it's Shelton Jackson Lee. Yeah, and I noticed uh, when I was watching She's Gotta Have It, He's he lists himself as the producer of the movie. With his, like, birth name. Like, there's one slide right at the beginning that's, like, produced by Shelton J. Lee. And then right afterwards, it's directed by Spike Lee. And I'm like, what the fuck, Spike Lee? Hmm. <laughs> Which was pretty funny. Pretty funny thing to do. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. So, he was born in 1957, way back in the day, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, his parents were, his mother was a teacher of the arts and of black literature, and his father was a musician and a composer, which I think both of those things really helped form him into the type of director he is. Yeah. Because, uh, like, he uses music in his movies, like, a lot, and it's, like, his, an important part of it. For his first few films, his dad actually does the score. Oh, shit. That I didn't know. Yeah, apparently... Um, uh, I through my interviews with him, there's a couple things I noticed that weren't on the wiki page while I was going through it. Um, him and his father had like some sort of like falling out at some point. Uh, he said about his father that he was uh, really good at playing music, but he was really bad at making money. So he kind of like wanted to be the opposite of that. So like Spike Lee focused very much on like the business side of film as well. Because he believed that, yeah. like, talent couldn't get you there. 
by itself. Surely, yeah. Uh, and they had, like, some sort of falling out. at With the interview I was listening to, he didn't, like, dive too deep into specifics about what it was, but he said that they were kind of, like, talking it out. And that was, like, years ago, so I'm sure they probably got back to a level where they could, like, communicate decently with each other. But, um... Good. I, I remember seeing his father. He is in uh, She's Gotta Have It. Oh, was he? Um, yeah, he's the older guy who's like, yeah, I wrote this song for her. Ah, uh, that makes sense. And then um, later on, like, during the credits, they're like, the, right before the credits, they're like, oh, the, they had little, like, scenes with everybody being like, hey, man, how's it going? And I saw Bill Lee, and I'm like, that's Sparkly Star! Ah, uh, but, uh... As a kid, he uh, he doesn't remember uh, Malcolm X's uh, assassination, but he says that he he was old enough that he remembers uh, like MLK's. hearing his yeah hearing his mom like scream that they killed him from like on the porch down the road while he was like playing as a kid, uh, and he kind of grew up and like read uh, Malcolm X's autobiography that he did with. Uh, the writer of Roots, Alex Haley. Um, mm. He read that and kind of became like a huge Malcolm fan, obviously. And uh, Yeah, me too. No, I haven't I, read the autobiography yet, but me too. Uh, yeah, I haven't read the autobiography. I plan, I plan on reading it, though, because I want to check it out. But um, Interesting fellow. Yes, to say the least. But, um... Yeah, so those were two things that I felt like were pretty important, but like kind of left off this page. So, uh, but yeah, his dad was a jazz musician. Uh, let's see. Ba -ba -ba -ba. His mm -hmm. mother gave him the nickname Spike. Yeah. He's like, I'm keeping it. This is my name now. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's like what most people like just grew up calling him like it was a nickname that stuck. Apparently she gave him that name because he was difficult. <laughs> but... Got him! Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he attended uh, high school in Brooklyn. Uh, he enrolled in Morehouse College, a historically black college where he made his first student film, Last Hustle in Brooklyn. Man, um, I was trying to find stuff about that and I just couldn't find anything, really. Mmm... <laughs> I feel that. I, I, a few months ago, or I guess probably like a year ago or so, uh, when I had watched Malcolm X for the first time, uh, I was looking for that film he did, the four, four little girls, but I couldn't mm -hmm. find like anything about that movie anywhere. I was just like, where is it? I want to watch it. But, um, yeah, so. Yeah, he took film courses at Clark Atlanta University and graduated with a bachelor's. It's on Hulu! Or, huh? It's on Hulu! The Four Little Girls? Yeah. Oh, shit. I don't think it was when I looked, but... Got him. Damn, I'll have to check that out now. But uh, he graduated with a BA in mass communication from Morehouse, and he did graduate work at New York University's Tisch? School of Arts, where he earned a Master of Fine Arts in Film and Television. Mm -hmm. Oh, just kidding. You need the HBO Max add-on for Hulu. It's on HBO. 
It's around though. Damn. Got him. Yeah. But um Did you see the thing where he fucking sued Spike TV? Yes, and I thought he's that, like, I'm like He's like, I'm too famous. You cannot use my name. And it's like, okay, ch- chill chill out there, Spike. Like let's not pretend like you're the only like the person that invented Spike. But, um, that's, like, the one major disagreement I had with him when I was, like, going through his page. I'm like, what the fuck? Spike, what are you doing? Um, but, yeah, so, let's see. 85, he began work on his first feature film, She's Gotta Have It, with a budget of over, or with a budget of $175,000. He shot the film in two weeks. When he released it in 86, it grossed over $7 billion at the U.S. box office. Uh, then he did uh, School Days, which I haven't seen. Uh, then he did Do the Right Thing, which was nominated which for... Which I have seen. <laughs> yes, I, I have seen that one now. Uh, which was nominated for an Academy Award for the Best Original Screenplay. And, uh, yeah, it didn't get it, though. Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture <sighs> that year. <laughs> Bruh. Yeah, because years later, that's the movie everyone's still talking about. Yeah, they're like, Morgan Freeman drives the car! Oh, man. Uh, we should watch that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want to. I've never I've never read it or seen it. Or, we should I know watch that like and Green Book. Story. The, what was that? We should watch that and Green Book. Ah, yes, truly, a duo of films that deserved the award that year. (laughs) Um, but, yeah. Uh, In 93, a couple years later, he would go on to marry an attorney, uh, Tanya Lewis. They had two kids together. Uh, Satchel and Jackson. Jackson. Jackson's our same age. Oh, really? Weird. Uh, Jackson was born in 97, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey Jackson Lee what's up man yo um but let's see yeah so yeah ba- you- basically it's just he it doesn't like dive too much it's just kind of like oh he, he did this uh, I know with his 1990 release uh, Mo Better Blues he was accused of anti-semitism uh, by the Anti-Defamation League and several film critics. I haven't seen the movie. I can't comment on if I think it's got like an anti-Semitic subtext to it or not. Uh, but uh, basically, Lee denied the charge explaining that those or that he wrote those characters in order to depict how black artists struggled against exploitation. Uh, Lee said that Lou Wasserman, Sidney, uh, Scheinberg or Tom Pollock. Sorry if I fucking executed any of those names poorly. Uh, the Jewish heads of the MCA and Universal Studios were artists struggled against exploitation. Oh, fuck me. I read that wrong. Were unlikely to allow anti-Semitic content in their films that they produced. Uh, he said he could not make an anti-Semitic film because Jews run Hollywood and, quote, that's a fact. Unquote. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so close. Huh? 
So close to not saying something dumb. Yes. Very close. Um, But yeah, so... Yeah, he's pretty much just been making movies. He's made... Let me see. Let me go down. I want to say like 30? Yeah. 25? Something like that? He was making one every year for a decent while, but he he still makes one about like every two years or so. Yeah, he's kind of eased up. He's like, I want to go take a nap. Yeah, uh, one of the things from the interviews that I heard that really struck a chord with me is he said that he had like read a quote from Kurosawa from when he was like eighty years old, and Kurosawa said like despite, like, all my experience and my age, like, there's still, like, so much about cinema that is, like, in the unknown that is to be discovered, and Spike Lee, like, really resonated with that, so he's like, I just want to make as many movies as I can and keep learning from them, so. Well, he's just got to follow after the footsteps of, like, Takashi Miike and just make, like, three movies a year or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Surely the method for success. Surely. Uh, did you see the thing that he said about the NRA guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, Charlton so, Charlton Heston, Heston was the, the president of the NRA at the time. Yeah. And he was he was at cons or something. Spike Lee was at cons or something. And he's like, I think they were specifically talking about, like, uh, shoots, shootings in America or something. And he's like, you know what? The NRA should be disbanded and somebody should shoot Charlton Heston with a forty four bulldog. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and he's like, no, I was just kidding. <laughs> when he got yeah. backlash on that. I'm so like, no, he, he wasn't. <laughs> even if you feel that way, maybe it's not the best thing for the public image, but. <laughs> maybe not. Yes. Um, yeah, so he, he is a man of many controversies described as the angry black activist director. But which a lot of these, a lot of this. So this just goes on to like my problem with a lot of like America is like, yeah, a lot of what he says, like most of his activist stuff shouldn't be like controversial yet. It is yeah, because he's like black and like he has said stuff, but like the, the Jewish comment was pretty fucked, but like there are a lot of things I'm like this shouldn't be a controversy <laughs> a lot of a lot of the there's there was a decent amount of controversy that came out of like do the right thing when that came out yeah and I'm just like what the fuck did you miss the point of the movie <laughs> yeah a lot of people thought it was like in riots people. and it's just and like- he's like when people go to like watch Rambo they don't come out like fucking shooting other people yeah, in one of the interviews I was watching, uh, there was a point, um, I, I think, I, I don't remember the question verbatim, but he was basically asked, it's like, uh, do you ever plan on like making any movies that like don't focus on the black struggle? He's like, well, see, like, no one like Woody Allen would ever be asked this question. It's only like me, a black director, who has asked this question. No one asks like, Akira Kurosawa, if he's going to make films that don't focus on, like, Japanese people, or if Woody Allen's not going to make a movie that focuses on, like, you know, Jewish people, or, like, this and that, and it's just, like, I I feel like he's got kind of a point there. Like, 
I feel like well, yeah. black culture No, it was exactly when uh, Jordan Peele uh, said that, like, there was a big controversy when Jordan Peele's like, I don't really see myself casting any, like, non-black oh, yes. people as, like, the leads in my films. And I'm like, that shouldn't be controversial. They're like, if that's, that's fine to do, <laughs> like, good. Yeah. A lot of black people don't get work that that's good. He wants to make movies about the black experience. Yeah. And it's Ugh. like clear, like clearly, like there, there, there is like a certain middle ground when it comes to like making things where it's like you can have like colorblind directors and stuff. Like, but if it deals with a certain subject matter, there, there, there's an appropriate like filmmaker for the subject. Like, but what's so weird about that as well is Spike Lee has made movies like that predominantly like feature like white people. Like, I Josh Brolin is the main character in Old Boy, yeah, and Edward Norton is the main character in Twenty Fifth Hour. Hmm. Yeah. So it's it's not like he's exclusively like making these. But if most of his movies are themed around like race relations and colorism in the black community, it makes no sense to feature a lot of white people. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, when it came to, uh, Malcolm X jumping ahead a bit here, but I feel like it relates to this topic, mm-hmm. uh, he was, uh, basically, originally it was slated to have a white director, the guy who directed, uh, In the Heat of Night. Uh, I forget his name off the top of my head. I think I wrote it in my oh. notes. Let me look. Norman Jewison. Yes. Moonstruck, Fiddler on the Roof, Jesus Christ, Superstar Man. Yes. Um, but basically, he he stepped down from the project because, quote, he didn't like the script. But um, there was, like, a lot of protest and a lot of, like, just speaking out at the time where it's like, no, like, the Malcolm X biopic should be directed by a black director. And Spike Lee went on to say, like, because I was watching the interview specifically about this film, and he, he was talking about, like, how, like, just on, like, a different level, like, besides just, like, the kind of symbology of it, like, he had to go and, like, interview people who knew Malcolm X, and he said, like, you know, these people wouldn't, like, open up to just, like, some white guy who comes sniffing around asking about it. Like, it needed to be someone from their community who goes and talks to them. Yeah. Uh, and Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, that That makes, like, perfect sense to me. It's like, yeah, clearly. Um, the subject matter called for a black director, but yes, uh, apparently another, like, obstacle that film had to overcome was, uh, like, the budget and the runtime. I, uh, I fucking figured, I'm like, I feel like most fucking productions are like, no, we're not gonna let you have a three and a half hour long movie. Yeah, he had to fight for that one. So basically, uh, he, yeah, he wanted to get a big budget for the film, but they were like, uh, no, like, we'll give you, like, this smaller budget. So uh, he, like, basically took advice from Francis Ford Coppola and uh, basically, like, made the film and, like, went over budget. Uh, and then he got it to, like, crawl up from, like, 28 to, like, 33 million, and then he put in uh, 2 million of his own mo- money 
that he was like making from the film because he was only like getting like three million from the project. And then um, the studio and the Bond company were basically like, all right, the film can't be over two hours and 15 minutes. And he's like, that led to the film shutting down for a while during post-production. But donations from uh, a bunch of like prominent black Americans like donated like Oprah, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Janet Jackson, Prince, Tracy Chapman, Peggy Cooper, and Bill Cosby all like donated to make the film happen. Uh, so that oh, that thank was, God, Bill yeah. Cosby, thank God. Yeah, oh, <laughs> of course, but um. Yeah, so that was cool of them to do. Like, I'm glad that they kind of saw the importance of the film and donated to it to make sure it was released in, like, the way that it should have been. Uh, but yeah, so with that, do you want to hop in to uh, do the right thing? Um... There was one... Yeah, I have some more notes about his filmmaking style as a, in general, but I probably want to talk about that after we finish all the movies. Okay. Um, yeah, so, like I said, we're going to talk about Do the Right Thing. We're just going to talk very briefly about, like, the overall arcing story, because it's a very simple story as well. Like, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's mostly, so like, kind of, like, vignettes within, like, this neighborhood throughout, like, the course of the day. in something. Yes. Um, they're so, all building up to something. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say, like, watching these five Spike Lee movies is, like, the most I think I've ever heard the N-word in a condensed period of time. I don't know. Have you ever watched five Quentin Tarantino movies back-to-back? I haven't. That might do it. But I feel like not every Quentin Tarantino movie has it all the time. Just uh, like Django really like ups the ante. Yeah, there's a few of them that use it quite, quite, quite liberally there. Yes. And that's one of their like Spike Lee actually got into this bit of a view with Quentin Tarantino over it. Understandably. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really think like, I think it's understandable in Django, I guess, but some of them are just like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you doing this? And it'd be like, I... If I was, as, like, as an actor, like, if I was in a movie by a black director and they wanted me to say the N-word, I feel like I'd be okay with doing that, because it's, like, yeah. a black director saying, but if somebody that looks like Quentin Tarantino was like, now I need you to say the N-word 95 times, I'd be like, oh, and I'd have to take a pause there. Yeah, it's like, uh, did I sign for the right project? <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> Alright, so yeah, so do the right thing. Yeah. So takes place in uh Brooklyn. What, wasn't it? Brooklyn, yeah, yeah. I assume a lot of the fucking movies he makes takes place in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um So we follow our uh it's 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 a big like ensemble cast, but for the most but part pretty we're much through. we're looking at Mookie, who's yeah. played by Spike Lee. Yes, and he's basically working, working at a pizza shop. 
Yeah, he works as a delivery boy for this, like, Italian-owned uh, pizza place in the neighborhood. Uh, working there is Sal and his two sons, uh, Vito and Pino. Is that their names? Yeah, and Pino's played by John Turturro. And yes. God, he's, John Turturro plays a scumbag in this movie really yeah. good. <laughs> and uh, Vito is played by uh, the dude from that... Uh, Stranger Than Paradise. Oh, is that Richard Edson? Is that what he's from? Yeah, the, like, the first half of the movie, I'm like, where is this guy? Like, I know this okay, guy Okay, because he's somewhere. not in a, like, he's, he's been in a decent amount of movies, but, like, he, he isn't, like, a ton. <laughs> like, he's not the major vocal point in most of those movies. Yeah. Uh, he, pl- he plays kind of, like, a similar esque kind of character like they both kind of have like similar oh, ways fuck. they carry he's in themselves howard the duck he's in what he's in howard the duck oh shit was he yeah i haven't seen that movie in years so i probably Great don't even movie. remember the character he plays um, um yeah so do the right thing is very simple it's literally just um it's a it's the hottest day of summer pretty much like it, they're in the middle of a like simmering fucking heat heat wave and Mookie works at this pizza shop and it's just him and other people it's just how their day's pretty much going and while like the heat is simmering there's a bunch of like racist tensions that are also like simmering in this majority black neighborhood yeah. Because this pizza shop is owned by these Italian Americans. And um, one of the inciting incidents early on is uh, Bugging Out, the character Bugging Out. Yeah. Uh, he's like, there are only white people on this, like, wall of fame in this restaurant. He's like, we want, I think he specifically says, we want some brothers up on this wall. Yeah. And he's like, it's my shop. I'm only putting white people up there. By the way, I had no idea while I was watching it that, that was uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Um, he plays, like, Gus on Breaking Bad. And he, he's in some other stuff. He's in something we watched on this, but I don't remember what the movie was that he was oh. in. Um, but, yeah, um, no. It, it oh, t- he's in King of New York. Oh, yes, that that's what it was. Um but yeah, no, he, he, he's also in, I think he was in Malcolm X. Towards he's in Malcolm X. Yeah. Uh, I remember him in Malcolm X. He's in, like, he's in a decent amount of uh, some of the early stuff. I know yeah. he's in School Days and he's in Mo Betta Blues. I know that he was, con- like, uh, there was, like, a, a completely different cast for Defy Bloods who were, like, it was, like, written for, but they were, like, all too busy. He was one of the ones that was considered for one of the roles in that movie. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah, I could actually see him as, like, uh, like Otis. If you remember Otis in that movie. Um, yeah, Otis is the one with the daughter? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I feel like he would, if, if I just, I feel like he would embody that character pretty well. I could, I could see that. Um. Um. Yeah. So he's like, and then they pretty much like ban him from the store, or, and he's like, "Fuck you!" And then, obviously, throughout the movie, those tensions just rise more. And by the end of it, uh, 
this guy, Radio Rahim, who walks around the neighborhood blasting public enemy on his boombox. Yeah. He goes in there with uh is it just is it just him and bugging out that go in there or is there one other person with them? Um I don't remember the character's oh, name. Oh Smiley dude, goes in. Um the the dude with the picture of Malcolm and Martin that yes. would like Yeah. Because uh, all three of them had had, like, kind of run-ins with Sal earlier. Uh, Radio Rahim had gone in there earlier, and he was playing his music too loud. And uh, Sal, like, really freaked out at him. And uh, earlier, the dude with the picture was trying to sell his picture of Malcolm and uh, of Malcolm and Martin. But uh, the really racist son, uh, Pino, was like, get out of here! Yeah, scared him off, and it's a really sad scene. I didn't like that scene. I was like, oh, yeah, this poor Smiley, guy. Smiley, and Je- that that character's name is just known as Smiley. Uh, um, he's like very obviously like mentally disabled, but most mm-hmm. of the, most of the neighborhood is really nice to him. Um, Mookie's usually pretty nice to him, but randomly he's like, get out of here! And I'm like, come on, man, what are you doing? Um, yeah. But all he does is he walks around with these pictures of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King that he's hand-colored with, like, crayons or markers or something. Mm-hmm. And he tries to sell them for, like, $2 or a dollar. Um, and, yeah, he, he randomly goes up to the the store when Pino and Sal are talking. And he's like, $2! And Pino just goes out there and pretty much is like, I'll kick your ass! And then everyone in the neighborhood is like, Fuck you, Pino! Yeah. Um, but anyway, the the final act of the film, Radio Rahim, who's a pretty nice guy uh, to most of the people, he goes in there and they like have a standoff. They're like, we need black people on this wall. And Sal is like, turn off the fucking music. And then he pulls out his fucking baseball bat and breaks Radio Rahim's uh, fucking um, stereo. stereo. And then... Yeah just kind of that just lets loose everyone and Radio Arheem like throws Sal out of the pizzeria and uh, starts to choke him like he's trying to I don't even think he was trying to necessarily kill him I think it was just in like an act of rage at that point yeah. but uh, suddenly the police show up and they grab Radio Arheem and they're trying to subdue him but because they're cops and they don't know what the fuck to do because they're dumbasses they they kill him and then they drive off with him just his dead body and uh they had arrested bugging out bugging out yeah and then there's a final standoff where uh Mookie and like all the black people of this neighborhood are just staring at Sal and like tensions are obviously really really rising um, and Mookie walks over, grabs a fucking trash can, and just throws it through Sal's pizzeria. And then they all just go crazy and fucking burn it down. And there's just, like, a giant riot. Yeah. Uh, and then the next day he goes and to collect his money. Yeah, he's like, give me my fucking money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, the film ends. Uh, yeah, so but, there are lot there are lots of like different little vignettes of the the different people around the neighborhood. Um, yeah, uh, the mayor. Uh, he he was one of my favorites. I really enjoyed yeah, his the character. Yeah, the mayor. 
Uh, early on in the film, he tells Mookie to always do the right thing, which leads to the, like, big question that white people like to ask Spike Lee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is, there's... <laughs> which and I'm like... Uh, in the interviews that I was watching, even, like, newer ones, he was like, the only people to ever ask me if Mookie did the right thing are white people. And it's just like... Yeah, it's clear that they're not in tune to, like, what the film was trying to convey, or just, like, the struggles of African Americans in general. They literally say in the movie, property is not worth a life. Like, I don't, he's like, Sal, I don't fucking care that your pizzeria burned down, somebody died. Yeah, it's like, you're gonna collect from the fucking insurance anyway, like, at the end of the day, you're gonna be fine. And it was Mookie who took on the risk. He's the one who, like, lost his job and has to, like, just basically, like, continue scraping along with what he can get, you know? Because he was already at the bottom of the barrel making, like, Yeah, he was making two fifty a week. Yeah. And it's like, he's got a wife and kid to take care of. And it's like, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so... Obviously, like, tensions are building in the town. It's it's a pretty, like, it's predominantly black, but it's a multicultural, like, neighborhood. There, there are, like, uh, Latinos. There's one white guy who's, like, there. Who's fucking, who has, he, he bought a building to, like, be a landlord. And they're like, well, I thought it was a free country. Yeah. And they're like, fuck. Oh. Man, I hated that guy. I'm like, kill him. Yeah. Uh the police show up there there's like uh you know even though it's like a predominantly black neighborhood like none of the black people there like own any businesses like we see the two examples being like the italian owned pizzeria and the korean owned uh, like corner store uh and it's like <sighs> that there's there's a uh, standoff because the corner store is literally right across the street from the pizzeria yeah. And there's like a standoff between these the black people. Um, yeah, mostly they, the it's the older black gentlemen that are like uh, you see earlier on who are like they hate Radio Arheem's music as well. They're yeah. like, turn that shit off, turn on something better. Um, but they're they're like about one of them's about to like go in there, and the Korean guy's like, no, I black too, <laughs> and they're like, what? But yeah. you know, it's obviously just to be like we're. We're the minority here, too. We're being oppressed as well. Don't fucking destroy my store. Yeah. And they don't. And I'm like, good. Yeah. I was glad they got off. Because they, they kind of got the shit end of the stick throughout, like, a lot of the movie. Like, they just have, like, a lot of, like... There's a scene where, like, Radio Rahim goes in there and he's, like, kind of harassing them about, like, you know, because they don't speak very good English. And he's kind of, like, a dick to them when he's buying batteries and we see, like, the old men on the corner who are, like, the one of them is like, oh, fuck, man, I can't wait till a black business opens up in this neighborhood. I'm going to go there. And it's like, one of them calls on I was like, you're always talking about shit you're going to do. Well, you know what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go buy a beer from that Korean corner store and give them my hard-earned money. Uh, but, yeah, so we, we see that throughout the neighborhood. Um, there's a scene from Radio Rahim that I... I like uh, earlier on where he first like kind of like meets up with Mookie 
uh, he's like passing by him while he's delivering a pizza, and he kind of like shows him he's got like these uh, I I don't know what you'd call them, like kind of like knuckle wearings. Uh, one says love, and one says hate, and he kind of gives this speech where he's like, you know, you know, the left hand. I think it's the left hand that he was using for hate. Uh, or it might have been the right hand that he was using. It's for the eight. right hand, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So he's like, you know, the right hand. This is the hand that like Cain used to strike down Abel, and you know, this is the hand of hatred, and this is the hand of you know, like love. You know, these five fingers will reach down into your soul, and then he like, it's like, and the true meaning of life, and he like puts his, both hands and interlocks his fingers, and he's like static, you know. And I feel like that kind of plays into the overall themes of the movie, like, we see, like, I've, I've heard people, like, surmise this movie up to, like, well, you either go, like, the Martin Luther King-like route, or you go, like, the Malcolm X route about things, and it's kind of, like... Yeah, that's, like, yeah, the movie literally ends on a quote by yeah. both of them. <laughs> and, uh, we know that, like, in real life, before, like, Malcolm X was assassinated, he was moving towards, like, trying to find, like, a common middle ground with, like, you know, yeah. Martin Luther King and, like, other activists to, like, get, you know, the common goal that they all wanted. And I feel like that's what this film is trying to, like, get across. Yeah. Um, Definitely. But it, uh, when the movie first ended and I saw that uh, quote from Martin Luther King, I was a little salty. I'm like, what do you mean? That goes completely against it. But then I'm like, okay, it has another quote as well. It has two quotes. Okay. It's yeah. a quote from Malcolm X as well. Because I'm like, if it just included just one of those quotes, I'd be like, that doesn't really add up here. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, and I the, the final shot of the film is also, I think, isn't it like Smiley putting up like the picture of Martin and Malcolm like yeah, in the pizza on the building that's in fire. Um it's not it's not the final shot, it does cut it cuts to there, it's like the ending and then they do the epilogue oh, yes. that's the next morning. But yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a, this is a strong movie. Like, I, I had some problems with it. I don't really like, um, I think that, uh, Rosie Perez's character, Tina, is, like, really absent from the film, and I think that hurts it. Because I, I think the angle of Mookie being, like, a distant, he's a pretty absent father, and I thought that really added to his character, because before that, he was just kind of like, I'm the pizza guy! Yeah. It shows that he's, because it kind of plays into, like, his just, like, kind of, like, passive nature in general. Because the whole time he's working for, like, these Italians that, you know, he he, he straight up knows. He's, he's like, yeah, these, these are kind of racist, bigoted people. The one brother uh, seems to be all right, but he doesn't really stand up against his, yeah, like, his, other brothers. He's also passive. I think yes. the, one of the big things that this movie wants to say is, like, the right thing is action. Like, that, whatever that action is, it's doing action. Inaction is on the side of... There's that big quote that's... Inaction is on the side of the oppressor. Like, not doing anything just helps keep racism and everything bad alive. You have to do something. So, doing the right thing is doing, doing something. Yeah. I feel... Yeah. So, I think that having that character of Mookie being so, like, 
passive throughout the whole thing really makes that ending work really well. Yeah. But I still wish that I think Tina was shown a little more and I, I wanted him to have a little bit more character. Um, I feel it. But like overall, really strong movie. I really like this one. Um, yeah, so do I. It, there's some really pretty shots too. Like a lot of just like great shots of the city and like the neighborhood. And really great characters. Demare, like you said, was a great character. But I also really like Smiley. I think Smiley's really well played by fucking... Uh, who fucking played Smiley? I can't remember. Oh, I don't know. I didn't look up the cast. Oh, Samuel L. Jackson was in it. He played he Love Daddy. I forgot yes. about that. He's just And he always sits in his fucking radio booth and uh, just doesn't come out. Uh, oh, yeah. Roger... Whenever Smith. Yeah. Um, he wasn't originally in the movie. Smiley wasn't a character. But he's like, Smiley, put me in the movie. Oh, okay. Because well, I, I think like he, he had been in school days, and he's like, come on, put me in the movie. He's also in King of New York. Just It's just everyone in this movie mm. in King of New York as well. <laughs> uh, Martin Lawrence was also in this movie. He didn't, yeah. he didn't play like a super relevant, like, predominant character but he had a couple scenes where you saw him like kind of around uh he's in like the pizzeria like when the big fight starts between sal and uh uh radio rahim but uh yeah uh uh there apparently the original script of this movie uh had like a stronger like reconciliation at the end between mookie and sal and uh, and then Lee just changed it, and he's never, like, explained why he changed it. But I, I think that having just, like, that hint, and then they kind of walk away is a better ending. I, I, I think it's more realistic. Yeah. No, I, I really liked the epilogue. Um, It went to, like, kind of further cement. It's just like, wow, this Sal guy's kind of an asshole, because he just, like, chucks the money at Mookie's face. Yeah, he's like, here. And, He's like, yeah, One, this, this is really going to help you. $500, he's rich. But, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else about the movie that like, I really want to say. Let me see. I wanted to talk about... Oh, and I just think, like, in general, one of my other, like, only problems with the movie is not just Tina, but I just feel like the the women in the movie in general, so Tina and fucking uh, uh, mother-sister are the, like, main ones that are prominently seen. Yeah, we also get a, we seen. Get a little bit from his, uh, Mookie's sister. Uh, oh, that's right. What was her name? Was that Jade? I, th- I think so. It's just, like, I feel like all the women in this movie are just, like, really one note. And I... It, it's just weird because I felt like everyone else in it had, like, a personality. And uh, it's just, like, what what just happened? Why are all these women just, like, nothing? Which is weird because I think that the main character um, in She's Gotta Have It... What I, what, I can't remember her name, but I thought she was had a decent amount of depth to her. Yeah. Apparently. So it was really weird that all all the women in this were just like... Apparently, <laughs> uh, Spike Lee for that movie had interviewed, like, a shit ton of women. So that might have had something to do with, like, uh-huh. that. Um, also, this... W- another thing. This movie is really weird with its... There's a random, like, 
really hardcore like sexualization scene of Rosie Perez's character that apparently made her very uncomfortable when filming. Wow, um, yeah. And I'm just like, and I don't really think it adds anything to the movie. Like that was the big thing. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Which is weird because I thought that while there were lots of sex scenes and she's got to have it, that's like what the movie was about. And it yeah. doesn't really just sexualize women. It's just like, here's a man and a woman. They're both naked. <laughs> You know, that, that movie, uh, she's got to have it. Like, I feel like it's very, like, invigorating. Like, it's very, like, you know, meant to, like, empower women and their sexuality. Yeah. But this film, it feels like it kind of, like, takes a point away from that. As Which is goal. unfortunate, because, like, without that, I think this movie would be, like, absolutely incredible. And I really like this movie. I would say it's a great movie, but it's just, like, that really hindered my enjoyment, personally. Mm, <laughs> and that, that view of women is, like, the only, only present in this movie, at least for me. Like, so it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> mm. Um, but I still think it's a great movie. The soundtrack is really fucking good. Um, Public Enemy, always, always my jam, but also the, just the score when Public Enemy's not playing, I, I really liked. Yeah, me too. But it's because his dad made it. Do-do-do. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's about all I wanted to say about this one. This one's in the Library of Congress. Yeah. Uh, there are four fucking Spike Lee movies in the Library of Congress. Yeah, I know Malcolm X is in there. What are the... Uh... Malcolm X... Uh, she's Gotta Have It, actually, his first movie. Oh. Um, and uh, I believe four, four Little Girls or whatever it's called. Okay. Um, I think that's the one. Let me make sure, though. They should put Bamboozled in the Library of Congress. I kind of unironically agree. Um, yeah. Four Little Girls. What would you give this movie, Thomas? Uh, I would give it a nine. I think it's really strong for the most part. I feel like it has a lot of characters in it, and it does a very good job of balancing it for the most part. It's got its couple things that I like. don't particularly like about it. Like, I don't like the sexualization of that character either. And, uh, yeah, like, that was, that's, like, probably, like, the major complaint, um... That and, like, the women writing in this film in general. But, yeah. I would probably give it a 9. Um, I'm gonna give this one an 8. It's a pretty high 8. It was almost a 9, but I just... I felt like this movie should have been a little longer the way they wanted it to, like, portray all the different people around the neighborhood. And mm -hmm. I felt like it was pretty much the length that was keeping some of these characters from being more than just one dimension. And also that sexualization scene really bothered me. <laughs> Mm. Um, but like, I, I, I did really, I really liked this movie. I, I feel like it might be a nine, my second watch. Um, I was kind of tired when I was watching this. I've been really tired lately, uh, but I, but I did still really like this movie. Uh, and I, I think it's, it should, it's a movie that everyone should see. Yes. Actually, quite a lot of the movies we're talking about today. I'm like, people should watch this movie. Absolutely. Um, All right. Yeah. Uh, so, 8.5? Pretty good. Yeah. All right. What's, what's next? Is that Malcolm X? It's Malcolm X. Yeehaw. So, we, so we followed up uh, fucking Do the Right Thing with uh, fucking, what was it called? I think it was, yeah, Mo Better Blues. Then he did Jungle Fever. And then he did Malcolm X. And... 
Yeah, Malcolm X is fucking crazy good. Yeah. <laughs> In my opinion. I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. And I think that my big problem with a lot of biopics is they either they kind of do wide strokes in how like they want to portray the person. Like they'll either portray them as like, oh, they were, this was like the greatest guy ever, or oh, this guy sucked, or oh, this guy was damaged. Instead of just being like, yeah, this person was a nuanced human being. Yeah, I feel like this film does a really good job at capturing the faults, but also like the strengths of Malcolm X. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, one of Malcolm X's big faults through a lot of his life was his treatment of women. Yes. Um, but th- that's the that's the nice thing about this movie. It never feels like... I think that there's a big deal. I talk about this a lot, like, with people I talk about for the James Bond movies. There's a difference between a character being, like, misogynistic or having, like, poor treatment of women and, like, the movie itself being, like, misogynistic. And this movie... I never felt like it had a problem with its portrayal of women. It was just simply, this is what the character felt, and this is what the character did. Yeah. And it helps that there's, like, some stronger women characters in this movie, like his uh, wife, uh, who eventually is the one who smacks him, or not literally smacks him, but, like, sets him on the path for figuring out the truth of what's been kind of going on. Uh, Yeah. But, yes, so this film follows the, you know, pretty much the, like, late teen to the end of Malcolm X's life. Uh, We follow him as a young man as he, uh, you know, kind of hustles his way through uh, just kind of getting by, you know, he... First off, like, we see him at a dance, like, he straightens his hair, and he's yeah, got, he, like, like, a girlfriend. Yeah, he, like, puts this really heavy chemical in his hair that's, like, I, I don't know what exactly it is, but it's supposed to, like, take out the curls and black hair and, like, make them closer, more similar to, like, white hair. Mm-hmm. Like, white person hair. And, uh, it's fucked. And it, like, burns really badly. <laughs> yeah. So we see but, him. Yo, this first dance scene was great. I really like dancing scenes, and I really like this scene. Yeah, we see uh, him, uh, his friend, I think the name is Shorty, Shorty but it's played yeah. by Spike Lee. Spike Lee, yeah. Um, and, yeah, we we get this guy. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Shorty scene where he's, like, kind of, like, dancing away from, like, this bigger woman. I was like, oh, eh. Uh, yeah, but then and then he's just with her later on anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, so, basically, in this scene, we see, like, you know, it's established that he's got, like, this nice girlfriend that he's obviously got, like, something going with, but this kind of, like, this white girl kind of, like, calls him over while she's in the bathroom, and she's basically like, yo, go drop off uh, that nice girl at home and come back and I'll be waiting for you. So he basically drops her off at home and ends the relationship because she's not stupid. She knows what's going on. Uh, and he's and like, he starts dating that white person pretty much. Yeah. And then we follow him as he uh, joins this uh, like gang uh, 
Yeah, there's this guy he meets named West Indian Archie. Um, yes. Oh, I guess he's. Na- I, I I don't really I don't really understand the cultural connotations of the term West Indian because he's from West Africa. He's from Grenada, I believe, or like that's he's in that same. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not really sure. I guess, like, I don't know. He's called West Indian Archie, but he's from, like, West Africa, which is also where Malcolm X's uh, mother was from. She was from Granada. Yeah. And we also get some insight into uh, Malcolm's early life. We see that his mother was a lighter-skinned person because her uh, mother was raped by a white man. So she, like... Uh, there's, like, a line in the movie that says, like, she intentionally went out looking for, like, a darker black man to, like, marry and have kids with because she just kind of wanted to, like, you know, get the white out of her bloodline, essentially. Uh, and we see, like, their father was, like, a preacher. He was a very, like, kind of, like, strong-minded man who stood his ground and was eventually, uh, killed by the KKK. Um, they, like, bashed his head in and left him on the train tracks. Uh, and yeah, his mother was then shortly after uh, she had the kids taken away and she was put into a mental hospital. Uh, yeah, so is it like you don't see Malcolm X's like siblings ever again pretty much? Like he never yeah. saw them? Um, yeah, they all got like split apart, and I guess uh, at this point he was still going by Malcolm Little as well. Yeah, uh, and there, there's like this scene. This scene makes me fucking sick. Where like he's in class and he's he he like points out oh, that he's at the fu- top of his class, and like one of his teachers is like, "Now you say you want to be a lawyer, but uh, you're really not cut out for that position. You should really try to do something with that." You're good with your hands. Be a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter, and he's it's yeah, just this, this, really this teacher, sickening. His teacher literally was like, "You're a," he calls him the N word, yeah. and I'm like, "What the?" And he's like, "We don't have lawyers that are." And he tries to do it in this like kind of like calm, assuring tone, but he's just speaking to this kid, who, and it's just like, and, "Oh, dude, it's so sick," and I hate that fucking yeah, and he's scene. Like, yeah, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Um, yeah, and then so he he meets up with this gangster, and that gangster is the West Indian Archie. He's played by fucking um, uh, Delroy Lindo, um, yes, who we oh. would see later on in The Five Bloods. Is he in any of the other ones? Uh, not. I don't think he was in any of the other ones we watched. He might be in other Spike Lee movies, but I'm pretty sure he was only in those two. Um, I, I've seen, I've seen. He's he's a really good actor. I yeah. really like Lindo's performance in uh, both this and he's fan. He's like the best part of uh, Defy Bloods, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, it looks like he's also in. Oh yeah, he's the main character in Crooklyn, which was uh, one of like the, it was like the other one that I really wanted to watch, mm. um, but I didn't. I chose he got game instead. <laughs> Um, um, and he's in Clockers. So, yeah, he's in a decent amount of uh, 
Oh fuck! I forgot he's in. A, he's a character in this movie called uh, the Cider House Rules, which uh, has uh, I watched it because Tobey Maguire is the main character in that. That movie's really good, and he's really good in that as well. Okay. Um, yeah, but he he starts working for him, but eventually um, they he kind ends. of make a bet together, and Archie has this thing where he's like. I never, I never have to write down a number. I remember them all. And he forgets this number. So then he's like, I'm going to kill you, Malcolm. You lied to me. Um, so Malcolm runs away. And he's like, well, now I'm going to go back and live with Shorty, pretty much. Yeah, so basically he comes to the conclusion that he is not afraid of death at this part. So he basically just decides, he was like, well, I'm just going to live with Shorty and our two white girlfriends and we're gonna we're gonna just do small jobs and get by you know fuel my coke addiction because he he had uh he had been introduced he picked up to, a coke addiction from archie yeah yeah um so basically they meet up with this guy named rudy and uh and they start doing robberies together but does rudy eventually sell them out i assume that's what happened yeah. Like, I, he's not the one that shows up, so, and he wasn't, like, at that trial, so. Yeah. I I imagine that's what happened, especially since, like, it was his, like, gig that he was setting up and how, uh, Malcolm. So, basically, there's a scene where, like, basically, uh, Rudy shows up and he's like, yeah, I know this great place. There's this old guy. He has me, like, tuck him into bed every night. Loves it. Gets his rocks off. And he's loaded. We can just literally go and, like, just take shit from him. And he, he, he wants to be the, uh, the like, head of the operation. But Malcolm basically, like, kind of plays this intense game of Russian roulette with him to decide who uh, who's going to be the boss. And it turns out that he had, like, palmed the bullet, so yeah, there wasn't actually there was anything. No but they didn't know that at the time. And it was, like, a super just, like, oh, God, scene. Malcolm, they're like, Malcolm, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, so they rob this guy, and they're, like, basically, like, the next day, Malcolm's, like, putting stuff in his hair again, and they, like, I don't know if the police shut off the water, or if the water just that's coincidentally to be shut I, off. I assume they shut it off. But, yeah, basically, he ends up having to, like, go and dip his head in a toilet, and then as he turns around, he's introduced to the fact that he's going to prison. <laughs> and um, Shorty's just like, the jig is up. Yep. <laughs> So it's funny. Spike Lee always puts on this weird kind of like I've heard his voice, and he doesn't usually sound like that. But he likes to put on this weird nasally voice a lot, where he's just like the jig is up. Yeah, he definitely like exaggerates it when he's acting. He he's got like a kind of nasally voice in general, but it's not yeah. anywhere near as animated as it, it is when he can. It's act. not. It's not. It's mostly. I mostly think of his voice is so funny and fucking. She's got to have it. Yeah, he's like hey baby. <laughs> He's like, did I did I tell you about the time that you know I used to be a superhero? Did I tell you? Did I tell you? I'm Panty Man. Yeah. Um, anyway, he goes to prison for uh, he gets jailed for eight to ten years. He ends up, I think, getting uh, paroled after six. But yeah. during that time, he is introduced to this guy named Baines, who introduces him to the Nation of Islam. Can we? Who is before? Before we get into this, can we talk about that sentencing scene? Though I, I think it's 
Yeah, I think it's funny because of what happens at the end of it, but it's also just like, just like truly just disgusting as well. Because basically, yeah, we see the two uh, like their girlfriends who are white, and they get charged like they get like two years in jail or whatever. Um, and then Which Malcolm like, X explains through narr- there's a lot of narration by Malcolm X that he yeah. explains how two years is pretty much standard for um, first time offenders for like robbery. Yeah, and basically, uh, then the judge then looks at, like, Malcolm and Shorty, and he lists off 11 counts of 8 to 10 uh, years. Four, 14 counts. Or 14 counts. And then Shorty just faints, and he's yeah, like... Yeah, because he says, all to run concurrently. And Shorty doesn't know what that means, so he, he thinks he's going to prison for, like, 140 years. <laughs> but he, he ends up falling down. He's like, I later had to explain to Shorty when he woke up what concurrently means but um yeah so he goes to jail and immediately you know he he's not really dealing with the uh he doesn't handle authority very well so he ends up getting put in uh isolation for oh god i don't i don't know if they like tell you directly how long but he's put in there for like a long time like there's Um, a point where they like open up the door and it's like are you ready to read your badge number Okay, no, another ten days, and they shut. Yeah, it. I think I think usually isolation is about it's between ten and thirty days, I believe. So, and he's in there for. I'm guessing he's in there for about a month. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but he finally gets out, and uh, yeah, this man named Baines comes up, and he's with the Nation of Islam, and he basically gives him some like nutmeg and water, which is supposed to help with his like coke addiction, uh, and he basically kind of starts lecturing him. He's like, yo, man, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, you're... I can tell that you're a lot smarter than this. Like, you should really be putting that brain to good use. And he's like... Uh, basically kind of, like, introduces him to the teachings of uh, Elijah Muhammad. And, uh... Basically, uh... So he, he kind of gets more... Uh, into the religion, he gets more like. There's like a scene I really like where they go and they analyze like the dictionary and they like look at the uh, definitions for like white and black and basically like they kind of like look at the aso- or like the associated words and it's like oh white is like pure, uh, wholesome yada yada like things of that nature and then like you go over to like black and it's like evil, uh corrupt like stuff like that and it's just like he's like oh whoa what the fuck and it's like yeah this is this is like the white man's dictionary and you should learn it you should learn how to read between the lines and figure this shit out for yourself so uh throughout we see that he's spending a lot more time with Baines and he's becoming more educated and uh there's like this dilemma that he's having because he's he basically he he's having a problem getting down on his knees and praying to mecca uh i think i think that's what they do like they like pray in the direction of mecca isn't that right yeah they pray yeah. uh five times a day yeah and he he has like this problem he doesn't want to get down on his knees but he ends up like getting a letter from elijah muhammad that like inspires him like he describes it as like this like divine moment where he like was reading the letter and he saw like Elijah Muhammad in the room with him and 
it just like bestowed upon him all this wisdom and made things clear. And from that point on, he was able to like get down on his knees and pray. And he basically gets his like bachelor's while he's in prison and becomes very, uh, very like much a free thinker. And, uh, there's like a scene where he's like, uh, kind of debating with the chaplain over like the white Jesus stereotype and even references not true. Yeah, references bits from the Bible where they like literally reference like, oh, his they say his like theater of like brass, and it's like, come on, you you think I'm gonna believe in this white Jesus bullshit? But uh, yeah, so he gets out, he visits uh, Elijah Muhammad, and basically becomes like this very popular uh, public speaker. For because yeah, he, he just he, from from the very beginning, they're like he's a very great talker. So yeah, and then they're just like, yeah, we're just gonna have him do it. There you go. So, uh, so yeah, uh, we see him do a lot of public speaking. He gets a lot of backlash for the things he's saying. He proposes ideas like complete segregation between like the black and white race, uh, and. We see him, uh, he meets his wife for the first time. She's uh, working for the Nation of Islam, and they kind of, like, start, like, kind of meeting together professionally. She's like, oh, will you come teach my class? And they're they're flirting, and they eventually get to a point where uh, he proposes to her over the phone, and she says yes, and it's like, oh. But, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to, like, remember the overall, like, sequence of events here. This is a long movie. Yeah. Uh, um, but throughout, mo- most of it from this point on is just him becoming a better public speaker. But then it gets to the point where they're like, he's becoming too powerful. It's That's pretty much it. They're like, he's becoming too powerful. Yeah, so... um. Basically, after he makes this comment uh, during the assassination of John F. Kennedy, Ray basically <laughs> feels no remorse. He's, he's like, yeah, he's like, cool. Chicken, chickens came home to roost, you know. Yeah, he, he said that the sad, assassination, he said the assassination was pretty much the product of the white violence that's been prevalent since it's found of the founding of America. So, like, it's just kind of what was going to happen. Yeah, and he felt no remorse, so he's uh, he gets suspended by Muhammad uh, from speaking, and uh, so Malcolm's like, "I'm going to Mecca finally." Oh, uh, something else that kind of feeds into the whole like uh, leading up to like him being like his conflict with the Nation of Islam is uh, we find out that Elijah Muhammad uh, has been getting pretty busy with some of his underage secretaries. Yep. And, uh, basically... One of them has a child. Yeah. A few of them have a child. But, uh... He goes, have children. Yeah, so he goes and, uh... He kind of, like, interviews, like, all all of, like, the women who are, like, making these accusations, and he kind of comes to the conclusion, it's like, oh, this seems legit. And then he goes and confronts Elijah Muhammad about it himself, and he basically, he he admits to it, and then tries using uh, passages from uh, the Bible to, like, justify it. And it's like, oh, no, don't do that. So Malcolm, basically, this is, like, 
kind of the moment where he's like, oh, shit. I gotta kind of figure shit out and space myself from this, uh, from this. But, yeah, then he makes the comment about, like, John F. Kennedy, and that leads to him being disbanded for 90 days. And when he gets home that night, uh, one of the members of the Nation of Islam basically comes to him. And this is, we see this guy earlier in the movie, like, he, he's like this guy who comes in after, like, one of his first, like, public speaking events, and is like, yo, Malcolm, I was, I was there at the protest tonight, and that was amazing, I want to be, like, more like you, what can I do? I want to join this organization. And basically, like, Malcolm kind of, like, lets him in, he's like, alright, yeah, you should know more about organizations you're trying to join, but come, come to the service on, like, Monday or whatever it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And we see, we see, like, this kind of comes full circle, because he's basically like, Malcolm, like, they, they gave me a job. They wanted me to, like, put Blow explosives your in your car. Wire car to explode. And uh, he's like, oh, shit. And he's like, but I'm, I'm on your side. So we see, like, he's got, like, this kind of s- small group of uh, members who transitioned with him out of the Nation of Islam. And he basically starts speaking publicly again. He's like, you know, I'm, g- I'm going to separate myself uh, from the members of the Nation of Islam. Like, I'm just, you know, I've been a mouthpiece for them, but now I'm going to be a mouthpiece for me. And it basically, he goes to... Uh, and then after that, he just gets threat, death threat after death threat. <laughs> yeah, he goes to Mecca... Uh, around this point in the film and he has like this realization while he's there you know because he while like all under like the like hood of the religion there there are many different like nationalities there and he is like very affected because he's like you know he befriends like this like small group of white people who are there and he's like you know we were just brothers we were part of we were all like just part of you know, Islam together. And, uh, he comes back and he basically like makes some comments to the press. He's like, okay, look, basically like everything before this point, I want to like refresh, you know, I'm hoping that like other like civil rights activists forget things I've said about them and I'll forget things they've said about me. And I want to like work together towards a common goal. Uh, Meanwhile, things like he keeps getting like phone calls. We see like he's bugged wherever he goes. Um, and they hint towards like the, the CIA being involved and maybe being, if not active in the plans of assassination, then complicit in like not putting a stop to it, even though they would have known about it. Uh, and basically it gets to a point where like someone throws like a Molotov cocktail through his window and almost kills his children. Like it's ridiculous. And this is like my, uh, this scene in particular, I have a major gripe with this scene. I don't like that. They like cut back to like the scenes of his father. And like when he was young and his house was being attacked by the KKK I thought it was a little too on the nose. Like, I, I was thinking that already before they started cutting to those shots, and it just felt like a little, like... Uh, I personally liked it because I thought that it was a little, um... 
it blurred the lines between them really well, personally, just because, like, everything was on fire. It was hard to see who was who. So it was like, uh, just like the very first two cuts, I'm like, wait, which, who, who is this? Is this him or his death? <laughs> So I, I like I like that scene a lot, but I, I also understand that it is the it this movie in general it it's structured like pretty much every other biopic, but I I just like it so much because I think that everything in it is executed so well, and I, I personally like that scene, but I, I understand where you're coming from as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, so uh. Basically, they're gearing up to give, like, this speech in this, uh, uh, what, it's like a dance hall, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. And, uh, basically, Malcolm has come to the conclusion that it's like, he's gonna die here. Like, he, he's pretty aware of it. He realizes, like, the, that, like, his life, his days have been numbered. He's been harassed and getting death threats for, like, the last year at this point. So it's like, he's just, like, kind of accepted that today is the day. He realizes this one's going to be more dangerous. Uh, a bunch of, like, people who were, like, slated to be there, like, canceled last minute. And things are just very suspicious. Uh, I really like this one shot where he's, like, walking to the building and it's like they do like the like you can tell that they like attach like a body cam to them and it kind of reminds me of like if you've ever seen like Requiem for a Dream I know that movie came out after this one but reminds me of (laughs) there's a shot where they do like the same thing in that movie and I really like when movies do that when characters are in like an inner state of mind where they're like deeply thinking about things but basically like he's walking forward like this and this woman kind of comes up to him she's like you know i appreciate what you're doing you just keep on doing what you're doing and don't let anybody like tell you otherwise jesus will protect you and then he gets this like look on his face just like oh brother but uh yeah he basically goes in uh he kind of like blows up on uh his like crew like they're there and just things aren't prepared to like the level that they should have been not really their faults. It's just kind of how things turned out. So it's just like, he blows up on him for a second and then he apologizes. And the one guy like pulls him aside. And he's like, Hey Malcolm, what what's wrong? And basically Malcolm kind of admits, he's like, you know, it's a time for martyrs. And then the, he sends the dude out to like make a phone call or something down the block. Uh, And he goes out and he does his speech and, like, immediately, like, right before he starts talking. There there are some things that, like, some earlier, like, speakings he did where, like, there will be, like, someone in the back and they'll, like, shout, like, Hey, man, get your hand out of my pocket. And, uh, kind of, like, causes big, like, scene. And that happens in the scene. Someone, like, gets up and is like, Hey, man, get your hand out of my pocket. And then, like, they start throwing smoke bombs and then one dude just comes up with a shotgun. Uh... Shoots Malcolm X. Shoots him twice, and then two other guys come up and just start shooting him as well. Yeah, uh, one of the other guys, uh, there's a bit earlier where, like, we we see that his, like, wife and kids are there, and there's, like, a scene one where, of like... The, Thomas Hagen, he was the one that gave that, uh, his, his daughter, like, a stuffed bear or something. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, oh, here you go. And then later goes up to shoot his father, 
it's just like, oh man, what a fucked up, what a fucked up scene. But Thomas Hagen is still alive. Oh, is he? Yeah, he was the one that was shot in the leg and then dragged out. Yeah, he was played by uh, uh I know his name. Yeah, he was just saying it. Uh, oh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, basically, he, shooting happens. Uh, people try to stop some of the shooters. They stop that one. Uh, they like sh- one guy shoots him in the leg, and then a bunch of people like pile on top of him. Uh, and, and then yeah. they would have, if the police didn't show up, they would have fucking murdered that guy. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> like they absolutely. were about to kill him. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and then the, the movie ends with, uh, there's like a, a clip of Martin Luther King's eulogy to Malcolm. And then there's a, like a speech, um, by someone. And then there's a, um, there's a classroom scene where it shows like a bunch of black kids, like all around the world going like, I am Malcolm X. That scene's really good. I don't know what it was, but that scene got me really good. (laughs) Yeah, I like that scene, and then we see um, who's teaching. And then teaching. Nelson Mandela yeah. is randomly delivering a speech at a school, that, and he's quoting an excerpt from uh, one of Malcolm's speeches. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, uh, Spike Lee had said, like, uh, that, like, he felt like the situation over there was kind of similar to, like, Harlem during this, like, time period, and he viewed uh, Nelson Mandela very much as, like, kind of like the spiritual successor to like Malcolm X in certain aspects. So he felt like that's why he had him at the end of the film. Uh, But yeah, Uh, then they go on and they talk about like kind of Malcolm X's legacy and basically like how like basically like white people have been like, oh, he's, he's racist and yada, yada. But then it asks like, you know, had any of these people like ever like, seen Malcolm smile, heard him talk, you know, gotten to know, like, the human side of him, and then they go on to, like, give the talk about, like, how he would have liked to identify as, like, an Afro-American, and how he wishes, like, more uh, people would identify that way, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's where, like, the film ends on, uh, but yeah, no, I think that this is probably, out of what I've seen of biopics, at least, the best biopic ever made. Like, Yeah, I would probably agree. There are a lot of biopics that I do like, but, like, this was fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, um, I love, I love and I hate it. It makes me anxious the whole movie, but I love how, like, he'll have, like, transitions with, like, gunshots. Uh, yeah, it, it makes for like a very just like stomach churning, like foreshadowing and like other scenes, and it startles me every time he fucking does it in the movie. But I think I think it also wanted to highlight how prominent like just gunfire gunshots are like in like uh, underprivileged like neighborhoods and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah, there's there's yeah, like I said, I think that biopics usually cover like the same theme, like, they are executed all very similarly, and there's not a lot in this movie that's, like, super 
out of the world, out of this world in the way of making a biopic, but everything is pretty much executed flawlessly, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I I really like this one. Um, and the supporting cast is like really, really good, even in the ones that are like just in like one scene. And I feel like the pacing in this movie is really good. Yeah, no, it it really is. Like it, it's a long movie, but like it, it feels long, but it never feels like uh, I was never bored or anything. I never thought a scene was wasn't worthwhile or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and also to because we haven't mentioned it so far. Address the elephant in the room. Denzel Washington fucking kills it in this movie. Holy shit. He does yeah. such a good job. Uh, I know that um, there was... Uh, some people didn't want him to play him originally because, like, Malcolm X was a decent amount taller than... Malcolm X was, like, a really tall dude. He was, like, 6'4". Yeah. But uh, also he had kind of a lighter skin complexion. And Denzel yeah. Washington's uh, pretty dark um, in comparison but no, he's fucking amazing. This is like he's he's really good in uh, the the movies that I've seen him in. Denzel Washington in general is like a fantastic actor. But yeah, fuck, he kills it in this, and and his son went on to kill it in another Spike Lee movie. Yeah, uh, Black Klansman's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. Uh, but. Yeah, so I I don't I don't know if I really have anything much more to say on this one. It, it has a lot of like kind of it has some of the similar themes of kind of like unity that uh, the last one did. Like it's very much focused on like uh, that like kind of like trying to get the two sides to work together for the common goal. But obviously, it doesn't get there because it's based on a true story and. Uh, it didn't quite work out the way that it should have, but yeah, but uh, yeah, the the themes are obviously gonna be there because it was about Malcolm X. But yeah, no, this movie was fucking amazing. Uh, I'm gonna give this one a ten. I also give it a ten. So oh, easy ten for me. Easy ten. Yeah. I love long movies that, you know, I, I love, this is like, I, I love long movies. Just sometimes they're hard to like sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to watch a long movie. But when I sit down and like, I'm like, okay, I get into it. Then it's just like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Like, so next we're going to be talking about, uh, he got game. He got game. Man. I wanted to like this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just... I really like a lot of the themes of this movie, but I feel like a lot of the acting in this is pretty rough. Mm. Outside of... I think that uh, fucking Denzel, once again, is fantastic in this. But, uh... You weren't really digging Ray Allen? I was not digging Ray Allen. I thought, uh, I think that Ray Allen in general, because he is a professional, like, basketball player, I think that he had that physical performance down. Yeah. And there were some scenes he was really good in. I think that a lot of the scenes that he, uh, is talking to Denzel, I think those are pretty good, but it's whenever he's speaking to, like, another character, it kind of 
muddles, and I think it's because he's not as strong of an actor, and the scenes with other people, they're not too strong either. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so this this movie is an American sports film by Spike Lee. Uh, this one's this one's really really simple premise, um, and I, I like the premise quite a bit. So Jesus Shuttlesworth is like the top ranked uh, high school basketball player, like in the entire country, like, uh, and everyone wants him. Like it's not just like colleges that want to give him full rides. It's like, hey, we want to, um, we want you to just skip college, come straight to the NBA. And he's like, oh, I got to figure this out on my own. And his father, who's being played by Denzel Washington, um, is in prison for 15 years for um, murdering his wife. Mm -hmm. And he's pretty much like he's released on parole for a week by uh, the governor. So that the governor, the governor's like, if you convince your son to play for my alma mater, I'll like reduce your prison sentence like drastically. Yeah. So most of the movie is just Jesus being like pushed around by a bunch of different people trying. Then they're like, hey, you need to go here and here and here. And he's like, let me just fucking let me do this. Yeah. So. And Denzel like slowly losing his mind. He's like, I don't want to go back to prison. Yeah. So he he's kind of conflicted because he's like, oh, man, you know, I don't want to like overstep my boundaries with my son because it he killed his wife um and the circumstances in which she died you can tell were accidental but it's still like oh man you were you were being a shitty person and it led to this and it's understandable that his son like hates his guts like he does um in the film is him kind of trying kind of not to, like, reconcile with, like, hey, you know, I murdered your mom, but, like, hey, you know, I'm sorry I kind of, like, pushed you too hard, because, uh, this film's got kind of, like, the whiplash thing going on, where it's, like, you know, to make a diamond, you gotta put, like, coal under, like, an immense amount of pressure kind of deal, uh, where he's basically, Yeah, and like, there's, like, there's scenes where it cuts to him as a kid, and he's, like, he's, like, pushing his son, he's, like, come on, come on! yeah. And, uh, clearly pushes his son too far to the point where, like, he resented him before he, like, killed his mother. And then that night killed his mother. And obviously that was, like, the straw that broke the camel's back, clearly. Um, but, so, yeah, he, uh, he basically, Denzel Washington kind of spends his time, like, occasionally he'll, like, kind of try to get close to his son and talk to him, but his son's kind of just like, you know, not having it, so he'll go off and kind of, like, reflect on his past, or he also tries to, like, get some while he's out of prison. Uh, he's, like, staying in this, like, motel, or hotel, and, uh, in the room next door, there's, like, this, uh, prostitute that he, like, sparks up this, uh, relationship with and she's played by uh, Mila jo Jovovich, but uh, her character's not in a whole lot of the movie. Um, I think I one of my big issues with this movie as well is like she's not in the movie a whole lot, and I don't 
really think that that subplot does anything for the character of Denzel. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of there. Like, it's interesting in concept, yeah. but then I don't really think it, there's ever really a big payoff to it. In the interview with Spike Lee on this movie that I was watching, he basically explained this plotline. He was basically like, yo, the dude spent six years in prison. There's no way he wasn't going to try not to get any. And I guess he felt like it was, like, important to, like, show that, I guess. But Well, yeah, and I don't I don't even mind, like, showing him having a scene where he just, like, goes and sleeps with a prostitute. But to, like, have this weird subplot where he's trying to, like, be this prostitute's, like, girlfriend, pretty much, and, like, help her. It's just... Yeah. I like the idea of it, but I just don't think it goes anywhere. And we we see, like, this, uh... Just kind of jumping the gun on this, like, B-plot that doesn't really go anywhere. Um, we see that, like, uh... By the end of the movie, like, she... She's, like, driving away, and she's... You can tell that she's, like, stepped away from her, like, prostitute life, and it's like... Ah, uh, so this guy just came along and basically just completely flipped her life, and it just felt like it came out of nowhere. It didn't feel like it was properly, properly like built up to be that way. Like I think we see like one to two scenes where they have a conversation, but it didn't even feel like that was like the next natural progression point. Like beyond that, it just kind of cuts to that and it's like, oh, okay, sure, why not? But, yeah, so, uh, we follow Jesus Shuttlesworth, uh, let's see, dive deeper into this, like, he's got, he stays with, like, his aunt and uncle after, like, the situation between his parents go down, uh, and his uncle's kind of greedy, like, he he's trying to, like, spend money, Jesus' money before he even has it, and, like, Jesus is, like, made it apparent to, like, everyone around him is like, hey, you know, I'm not, I don't have any money, you know, I'm not, I'm not rich, uh, and if you guys, like, take these deals, it's kind of like taking the deal on behalf of me, something I haven't agreed to, so, like, there's, like, a point where his uncle, like, gets a car, and he's like, no, dude, take, take, take this back, what are you doing? Uh, and, like, just basically, like, everyone in his life in- feels entitled to, like, a slice of the pie. His girlfriend. Uh, his girlfriend's Ro- uh, Rosario Dawson. Yeah. Not only is she cheating on him, but she's also trying to convince him to Go. get, like, an agent so that she can make a bunch of money, pretty much. Yep. And uh, there, there is one scene where, like, it's, like, their breakup scene. And I felt like this was just kind of, like tossed in there like it didn't feel like I felt like they could have like maybe built this up better but yeah. like she, there's a line where basically like she like she got an abortion and it's like suggested that like she did it because she didn't want to ruin his basketball career and she felt like it was more his decision than it was her decision decision so she wanted to get money out of it basically because she felt like she just assumed that he was going to be like disloyal to her and break up with her in the long run. Uh, and it was like, yeah, I felt like that whole, like, Rosario Dawson plotline was, like, super underdeveloped. There's, like, a scene where, like, 
Denzel goes up to her at one point and confronts her, and that doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, it's just kind of there, and it's just... Eh. Yeah, that's, that's... I feel like that's my big issue. Like, I like the base of the story, and I feel like it'd be a good, like, 90-minute movie, but then there's, like, 45 extra minutes of just things that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Uh... But one of the big things that this film kind of, like, has the commentary for uh, is, like, the kind of abuse of, like, high school, college athletes um, and just, like, the things, how they're, like, kind of corrupted. They'll be introduced to, like, drugs. They'll intentionally, like, basically, like, they'll sleep around and very easily, like, be introduced to, like, people with, like, HIV or different types of STDs, um, and, like, stuff like that, uh, and then, yeah, just also, like, the film doesn't really, like, comment too much on it, but the fact that, like, college basketball players, or, like, college, uh, sports players in general don't get paid for what they do. Um, it's like, but yeah, like everyone assumes that he's going to be like rolling in the bank, but he's like considering like all these different colleges and stuff. Uh, but yeah, the, the real meat of this film kind of like sits on the like father son relationship. But even then I feel like it wasn't like, it wasn't super strong. Like, like I really wish that they would have had, like, an uncomfortable conversation between the two about, like, the situation that went down with the mother, but they really didn't. It was mostly just kind of focused on, like, the basketball stuff, and it was like, mm, I don't know. I feel like this one's, like, I feel like there's a decent movie in there. Like, I enjoyed watching it, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything, like, profound, yeah, I I mean there like there are parts I watched and I didn't hate it at all, but it's just like th- sometimes I get really pissed at movies because I'm like I can tell there's a good movie in here. It's just like muddled within a bunch of sh- bad shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't realize this movie like flopped really badly. <laughs> oh yeah. Whoops. Um, yeah, it's just, I, like I said, I feel like this movie could work as like an hour and a half. I, I feel like I just want to start like editing movies to see if I can make them better. And I mean, that, that is like a hobby people do. Yeah. Doesn't like Topher Grace edit movies? Yeah, Topher Grace, Topher Grace actually, uh, speaking of Topher Grace, um, after he was in Black Klansman, he went to go edit a bunch because he was like so stressed out after playing such like a racist person. Yeah. And he so he edited, like, I want to say he edited the entire Hobbit trilogy or something. Oh, nice. Huh. Um, yeah, but I do like, I, I like the, um, the cinematography specifically um, when they're doing basketball games, especially the last one I really enjoy. Um, it I think it emulates, like, watching a... Uh, like a sports channel really well like the framing of a lot of shots and I I, I don't know I, I like that that they did that 
Yeah. Um, but and some of the music was really good as well. Mm-hmm. But like overall, uh, this I think this was the weakest of the five we watched. At least in my opinion, I don't know. Maybe you hate a bamboozled. Um, we shall see soon. Yes, we'll, we'll see uh, you next. But I would give this movie a five out of ten. I would give it a six. Like I enjoyed it enough on like a kind of service level. Yeah, I get it. I, um, I was close to a six. I was battling with myself, but it but just yeah. uh, yeah. So a five point five. Five point five. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. All right. All right. On Let's to do the it. Let's talk meat about and potatoes. Bamboozled. Bamboozled. This is a. Uh, uh, I guess I'll just say it right now. I personally thought this movie was great, but I can also see why some people would hate this movie. Uh, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't. I don't really like this movie. Um, like I think it's bad from mostly a production and like acting standpoint, and I don't. I don't know if it was just because he couldn't, like, get funding for the film or if it was, like, kind of, like, intentional. I think, I think based off, like, the acting style of most of the actors in the movie, I'm guessing it was intentional. From my interpretation, I think it was, uh, intentional. Um, I, I, I thought it was, uh intentional and like it was supposed to a lot of it reminded me of like reality television around this time Mm. um a lot of the framing and i thought that's what spike lee and uh ellen karras the cinematographer were trying to do in that so personally i liked it because i felt that's what they were going for but at the same time i get it and also the acting very much was intentional but yeah. I, I can understand why people... It's a little much for some people. I personally thought it was great, but yeah. I get I, it. <laughs> I really don't want to say this, but it really reminded me of a Nostalgia Critic episode. <laughs> <laughs> like Fun I felt fact, like I was, the... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Don't go, no, go uh, ahead. I was just going to say, I felt like I was watching a really racist episode of the Nostalgia Critic when I was watching this. <laughs> I never got that, but I can get it. I think the Damon Wayne's uh, cadence that he was using in that, yeah, kind of sounds like I'm the nostalgia critic. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminded me of like that, like fake intellectual voice that Doug will do sometimes in his episodes. But, um, but I was gonna say the director of photography, the cinematographer for this, is the same person that shot uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, wow. I would have never guessed that. That's why why I'm saying that I'm almost certain it was intentional. Yeah. Because, like, the the cinematographer, no matter what kind of camera you have, like, the cinematographer is a good cinematographer. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so this film follows uh, Pierre Pierre Delacroix. De La Croix? La Croix. Okay. Um, who is a Harvard-educated African man in the employment of CNS, a TV network. 
Uh, and basically, uh, he's got a boss named Thomas Dunwitty, uh, who is played by, uh, Michael, uh, Rapaport, I think is how you pronounce his name. I think so. Um, I like this guy. This guy's really funny. Not in this movie, but he's really funny yeah, in most of the other I was time. about to go like, what do you mean he's really funny? He's the worst! Oh. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, basically, uh, the film begins with him, uh the Thomas Dunwitty character kind of like peeling into Pierre because uh, the material Pierre has submitted focuses on like the black middle class. And he, he calls it like Cosby clones. He's basically like, he just rejects it. He's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to portray black people in this like positive, intelligent manner. Like that, that shit's like boring. It's not what people want. And then he basically goes on to say a bunch of really racist things. Like, uh, he's, he's basically like, you know, I know, I know like black people, you know, they set the trends in this country and I'm, I'm banking on you to like make something very like, you know, ahead of the curve. I want, I want you to make the next big thing. And he goes on to like say the N word a bunch, which Pierre's like, Hey man, can, can you not? Can you not like use that? And he's like, "Hey, man, I feel like I have a right to say this. I have like a black wife and two like black children. I'm allowed to say the n word." And he's just like, "Well, could and you he not?" Just start saying it over and over again. Yeah, and he's like, "Could you? Could you maybe not say it in front of me?" And he's like, "Nah, man." Uh, and he he straight up like makes a meta reference to like his like feud with Quentin Tarantino. He's like. Fuck what Spike Lee said. I'm with Tarantino all the way. I can use this word as freely as I want. Um, but yeah, he, he even like goes on to like insinuate that he's like blacker than Pierre. And it's just like, oh God, please stop. But uh, basically, Pierre, uh, he, he's got like this. He punk- wants to be. He wants to be fired. That's yeah. the big crux. It's, it's he's like, like I don't want to work for this guy. I'm stuck under contract. So he tries to make the worst thing possible so he can be fired. Yeah, like the producers. Um, yeah. But he he simply is just like, if I make this concept, I'll be fired. Yeah. So he pitches it and surprise, surprise, the network loves it. They're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Um and meanwhile, throughout the course of the film, we've seen that there are these two, like, street performers that, like, hang out. Yeah. In these front two of, homeless uh, street performer guys. Yeah. And they're always like, give us a job. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, the uh, their names are... Min- color reunion between uh, Tommy Davidson and David Waynes. They were both oh. on that TV show. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... Their names are, um... Man Ray and Womack. Yes. So, basically, uh, you know, every, every day, like, when Pierre's, like, going up to his office, uh, they ask him, like, hey, man, when are you gonna get us a show? And he's like, I'm working on it, I'm working on it. So he kind of, like, is like, oh, these, these guys are perfect for this extremely offensive idea I have. So he brings them up to the office and, like, pitches it to them, and uh, it, he basically is like, all right, I want you, I've got the show in line. He doesn't like directly come out and specifically say what it is. He's like, all right, I got the show, but I want you to change your name. And he tells Man Ray, he's like, Hey, Man Ray, you know, 
I'm going to change your name to Mantan. Mantan. And he doesn't say what he wants to change Womack's name to until they get to uh, the the fucking like endorsement where he like shows off the show to uh, Dunwitty. Yeah. And he's like, Man Ray or Mantan and his friend Sleep, Sleep and, and Eat. eat. Yes. And I'm like, whoa. Um, so basically he pitches, uh, I, th- I think the full name of the show is Mantan, the new millennium minstrel show. Yep. Uh, and yeah, he basically is like, yeah, it's a satire on minstrel shows. It's, uh, you know, we got to have like black actors and blackface, obviously that way it's, I guess a degree less offensive, perhaps maybe. I mean, that's what they did. Uh, after, after a while it wasn't, uh, in that, so the, obviously I watched that documentary as well. And they, they did that as well. I didn't actually know that, um, after white people did blackface for a while, there were a lot of black actors that because they didn't have the right look because of everybody's like, uh, normalization of this blackface, they had to also use blackface to like do anything of like value to the white people, pretty much. Yeah, and they they bring that up a little bit later in the film with uh, mm-hmm. Jada Pinkett Smith's character, who is Sloane Hopkins. She plays a uh, Damon Wayne's like assistant, uh, but so basically. Yeah, they pitch the show, the network likes it. Um, the two actors kind of confront Pierre. They're like, hey, what the, what the hell are we doing? And then uh, he's like, it's satire. Yeah, Womack is clearly a bit more ob- objected to doing this, but he's kind of strapped for cash, so they're, they're both willing to do this show because they're homeless otherwise. Um, so, yeah, so it gets to the point where they start, like, casting around for, uh, other, like, characters in the show. Uh, they have this one character who's, like, meant to, like, introduce the show, whose name is Honeycut. Uh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, basically they hold auditions for, like, his character. And, uh, we see, uh, Sloane, there's, like, a scene earlier where she gets, like, a visit from her brother, who's part of this, like, rap group called the Mau Maus, uh, and they, they, like, show up to, like, basically audition for the band. Apparently one of the other bands that comes and auditions for the scene is, like, The Roots, um, a fun fact. Yeah, no, I saw that. I'm like, hey, that's the roots. Um, but yeah, so uh, they end up giving it to this uh one guy. Let me see. Uh, Thomas Jefferson Bird is the name of the actor. He is only credited as his uh stage name in the movie. But um, yeah, so. What ends up happening is they put on the pilot and Pierre's mindset is like, okay, the network's dumb enough to greenlight the pilot, but there's absolutely no way that this will like get picked up. But it's a smash success and suddenly um, Blackface is the new thing again. Uh, 
So they get picked up for like I think like thirteen episodes or something. They they get picked up for like a season. Uh and we see them as like the progression of the show happens. Uh Sloane, she kind of uh you know the longer this goes on, the more disgusted she feels and she sees like she's got like as much involvement in this as like everyone else, so she kind of, like, steps away. Um, so does... After a couple episodes, Max steps away. He's like, I can't do this shit anymore. And, uh, we see that, uh, Man Ray, he... He's kind of gotten a bit of, like, an actor's ego about it. And he, d- he doesn't... Uh, he's got, like, this kind of, like, uh, relationship going on with, like, Sloane over the course of the movie. And she keeps trying to, like, educate him on, like, the history of blackface and what what they're doing. And he, he kind of, like, you can tell he kind of wants to stay ignorant. He's like, why are you bringing this stuff up all the time, you know? And she's like, you know, I just, I thought you'd want to know. And he's like, no, I really don't. But, uh, basically, like, she ends up stepping away from the project. And, uh, finally, after some time in contemplation... Uh, Man Ray decides he doesn't want to do the show anymore. And Pierre is like, well, he's, we're in the middle of a shoot right now. You got to go out there. And he's like, fine, but I'm not. I'm not going to wear wear my blackface, obviously. He's like, fine, but you're, you're dealing with all the consequences of it. So he goes out there and uh, does like this final show where he's not wearing uh, blackface. And just the general tone of this last show is like I mean the tone throughout all of them is like scary but this one's like a lot more like you can tell like he's had his fill like he's not going to do this anymore and he's kind of repulsed by what he's done uh and then the show ends and he is kidnapped by the Mau Mau's who have um, basically, like, after not getting the gig, uh, and, like, seeing the show on TV, they're like, oh, shit, this is really offensive. We're not gonna stand for this. We're gonna kill that guy. So they abduct him, and they, uh... They live broadcast killing him, pretty much. <clears throat> yeah. And then, uh, this leads to Pierre just basically having, like, a mental breakdown. Uh, he gets, he gets this, like, old, uh like piggy bank that's like a blackface uh yeah he has a bunch of like antique. blackface like black themed like antique collectibles and now they're like coming to life as he's losing his mind yeah and it, uh then uh Sloane comes in and shoots him and then she uh leaves and uh, he dies well basically like a collection of uh blackface clips play kind of, like, closing the film down. Uh, yeah, pretty much every Spike Lee movie ends with a montage. Because I feel like it would, a lot of this time his movies act kind of like a documentary in the very last, like, two minutes. He's like, and here's actual things. Yeah. Oh. But, yeah. Um, yeah, this film, this film is a rough one to watch. Definitely wasn't my favorite, but 
Um, yeah, I, I felt it was rough for me, but I personally really liked it. I feel like it has a really over-the-top style to it that I feel like is, this, is the same reason I like Sion Sono movies and you don't really like them. It's the same reason why I think I really like this movie and you were less uh, enjoying of it. Yeah. Um... Just because, like, a lot of this movie is really fucking in your face. <laughs> it is. It really is. Um, Apparently yeah. Spike Lee was, like, really, really fucking angry when writing this movie. <laughs> Which comes out very obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he he said that he felt like a lot of the shows that on that were on television at the time were basically... Just, they felt like the modern day equivalent to like minstrel shows for them, like that. Lots of white people will tune into like these shows and kind of just laugh at like the black culture and the aspects of it that they like find funny. And it's kind of like laughing at them. Uh, but yeah, this film, this film is very like brash and in your face where it's like, not even like in which your is face, funny but because it's just one of the big critical one of the reasons uh, it didn't do well critically when it first came out is people were like people I, I think in 2000 people just thought that the world was becoming less racist <laughs> and they're like things like this couldn't happen and then 20 years later it's gotten a critical like reassessment and most people were like yeah we were wrong about that part <laughs> yeah I'm like yeah you are <laughs> um yeah like I would say I respect this movie but I don't like it I I I thought this movie was great but I also understand why people wouldn't like it but uh I gave this movie an 8 out of 10. I really liked this one. I would give it... Oh, I'm bouncing between a 5 and a 6. I'm, like, I'm going to give it a 6. Okay. But, <laughs> because you're really respected. Like, I like the underlying themes, and I... There are things I like about this movie, it just made me extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I get that. It's a very uncomfortable watch. Uh, okay, so 7 out of 10 average, and uh, let's talk about, let's jump ahead 20 years. Oh, yes. Those I wanted to do clothes. more of a more of an arc of years, but then I'm like, but then there were movies that I really wanted to include, so I'm like, nah, we're just going to head jump ahead 20 years. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about The Five Bloods, which came out very recently. Yeah. Um, pretty simple. Here's the, here's the synopsis. Watch this. Guys were in Vietnam. Yes. Five black soldiers. One of them was killed after they found uh, a boatload of fucking gold. They hide the gold. They bury his body. Jump ahead to fucking present day, and they're going back to Vietnam. They're gonna find the gold again. And they're gonna find their friend's body to take him back so he can be properly buried. Hijinks ensue. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much hijinks ensue. And it ends up with fucking 
all of them dying, pretty much. Not all of them, but the vast majority of them dying. Yeah. Uh, out of the six that, or out of the five that go on the journey initially, only only two, two. of them, yeah, come back. So, yes. Uh, so, yes. Uh, basically, uh, Otis, Paul, Eddie, and Melvin, and then their old squad leader who died is named Norman. He's played Storm by- and Norman, Chadwick Boseman. Yep. Uh, um, when I was when I saw the trailer for this, I was expecting him to be in the movie a lot more. <laughs> yeah. So um, I I hadn't seen any trailers or anything. I I assumed this movie took place like actively during Vietnam. So I was very yeah. confused when I started it, and I was like, oh okay, they're gonna like segue into it, and then. It never happened. And then there's like, only, like, two or three scenes where it's, like, actively during the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. So this this film is a big surprise to me. And another big surprise is Jonathan Majors was in this movie. I really enjoyed that. Um, Are you a fan of Jonathan Majors? I am. He he plays the friend in uh, Last Black Man from San Francisco. So I was just like, oh, fuck, that's right. Okay, I was like, where do I know this guy from? Yeah, so I was really excited to see him in something else, especially a Spike Lee movie. So I was like, oh yeah, awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, let me let me see if I can find out if it lists the original intended cast. I think it, I think it does on the page. Oh yes, so the film was originally intended to have Sam L. Jackson, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Don Cheadle, and John David Washington, but uh, they were all like just kind of wrapped up in other things. So they went with the cast of this movie, and I, I feel like that worked out for the most part. I felt like there was. Uh, one role in particular where I was like, mm, I wasn't really feeling this guy, but who was that? Um, it was the rich one. Uh, Norm Lewis is Eddie. Yes, and I I don't think he necessarily did a bad job. He just didn't feel so. Him and uh, who was the other one? Uh. So, Otis... Otis is the one with the daughter. Eddie's the rich one. Uh, which was... Which one was Delroy Lindo playing? He was Paul. Paul. Okay, so, uh, I felt Who like... Who was David's dad. Yeah, so I felt like Eddie and Melvin were both kind of, like, a little undercooked um, in terms of their characters, but, um... The- uh, jumping ahead to, like, some spoilers here, but, uh, the scene where, like... Well, I already said everyone dies. Where are they? <laughs> yeah. So, the scene where, like, Eddie, like, steps on the landmine, and, like, you see, like, his body, I thought that scene... Was dumb? Was a little dumb, and also, like, just the dumb. performance was a little corny, and so were, like, the effects on, like, his, like, blown-up body, like, that whole, like, part where, like, it just cuts to him, and he's, like, kind of, like, flailing around without his arms or bottom half was just a little goofy for me, and I felt like he didn't really give much of a great performance, like, leading up to that, either. Like, it felt a little stilted, but... 
Um, he, he, he was the only one that I was like, not very, like, I felt like they could have maybe perhaps casted better or perhaps given him a little more to do and given him more time to like shine. But, um, yes, I, for the most part, I really like the casting of this movie. Uh, Delroy Lindo does a fucking job in this movie. He kills it. Like, yeah, I agree. Holy shit. Um, he's kind of the worst. His character's kind of the worst, but yes. he's great. Yes. Um, yeah, so basically we see the four of them are like at this restaurant in uh, Vietnam and they're uh, like they just return to the area and they're kind of catching up and we basically find out that uh, Paul had voted for Trump. Um, and the rest of them were like, oh, whoa, what the fuck? Why'd you do that? And the whole, like... <laughs> they fucking go, oh, yeah, you were the guy, you know, grinning at the fucking front of the... <laughs> and they yeah. cut to a real-life footage of, like, <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, basically, we, we see that he's kind of, like, racist towards Vietnamese people. Like, uh, there's, like... And obviously, like, a bit of it stems from his PTSD, but it's it's still there. Um, there's a point where, like, this, uh, like, one-legged kid comes up and is kind of, like, asking for money. And he, he's kind of, like, at the point where he can't take it anymore. He's like, hey, get that kid out of here right now. Um, and there's another point where um, their, like, translators, or not their translator, their uh, tour guide shows up. And there's a couple guys who are, like, down at the bar, like, staring at him, and it's making him very uneasy. And then we find out that they just, like, bought drinks for them at the table and wanted to, like, welcome them back to Vietnam. Uh, but, yeah, so, basically, this kind of, like, first part of the film, uh, we're kind of just getting to know these characters, getting to know, like, what they're doing, uh, Otis, we see he has this old friend uh, who used to be a prostitute. But basically, she's got, like, this connection. So, like, when they find the gold, he'll, like, help, like, convert it to cash and help yeah, them out John with Reno. It. Or John yep. Reno. Yep. He's getting old. He is getting old. Um, Looked pretty old in this movie, but... Yeah. He is, like, 71, so... Yeah, but basically, uh, there's, like, this huge point where, like, uh, Paul's character is like, yo, fuck you, man, without us, you wouldn't have won World War Two, and it just kind of shows his ignorance. <laughs> it's just like, oh, man, you, you were taught the American Orthodox, like, history, not even that, like, fuck, even in, like, a basic high school education, like, they taught you, like, that the Allied forces were very important. Like, it wasn't just America. That was just, like, such, like, an ignorant thought, but he basically, like, really offends this guy, and there's, like, this huge, like, level of distrust in between, like, Jean Renault's character and these men, particularly Paul, but they just kind of they acknowledge that they have to kind of have like faith in the other that the other side won't like screw them um 
And we also find out that Otis, uh, when, when he's meeting up with, uh, his friend, whose name I did not catch. Uh, let me see if they list it. The, the girl, or? Yes. The um, prostitute? Yeah, or the, Otis's. Uh, Hanoi Hana, I believe. Yes. Um, so, we see that she has a black daughter, and it leads to this scene where, like, Otis is, like, awkwardly, like, yeah, is that mine? <laughs> yeah, and she's like, yeah, but don't worry about that right now. Like, we we made it just fine without you thus far. Yada yada. But basically, yeah. So that'll that'll come back around later. But um, so um, yeah. So we see them go out uh jonathan major's character david he plays the son of paul there's this bit where we see he kind of like shows up in vietnam and he he basically like blackmails them into like letting him go with and at first you're like oh man what a what a fucking piece of shit but you see that he kind of has like an ulterior motive which is to kind of keep tabs on his father uh yeah because his father is out of all of them the a one psychopath. with like, the worst. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a psychopath, and he's also got like the worst case of PTSD out of all of them. Like they they've all got it. Like, but his case is like his is super bad. And you're kind of yeah. the whole time you're like, well, why? Like what? And then you're like, oh, yeah. It I, reveals why later. Um, I I kind of realized. I'm like, I think this is what happened about like, yeah on the scene on the boat. Where he was like, where they're like, we all, you know, we all like see Otis. And he's like, no, not like me. Not like me. I'm like, oh, this guy did, did something. Spoiler alert. Um, might as well talk about it at this point. Yeah. Uh, we're just like, this, this is a new format. We're just talking yeah. about things. So he, he's the one that killed him. It yeah. was obviously an accident, but yeah. Um, what yeah. happens is they were in like the fuselage of a, of a crashed plane fighting, um, these Vietnamese soldiers and one of them, uh, like the Viet Cong, one of them went through like the back entrance and like snuck up on them and they like got to her in time, but Paul like did a spraying motion cause he was freaking out and he hit both her and Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. And it was there that Norman died. And basically, he's kept this to himself over, like, all these years and hasn't, like, properly, like, told anyone or just worked it out with anyone. So he's just been, like, building up these, like, feelings of guilt over these years, which have manifested in this really gnarly case of PTSD. Um, But, so... Basically, yeah, the son's like, you know, I'll, I'll tell the authorities if you don't allow me to come along and take a bit of the gold. So, they're like, oh, fuck. Fine, you can, you can split Paul's gold, but you're not getting, like, a full share. So, um, yeah, so they eventually get to the point where they're, like, getting into the jungle. They, oh, I feel like this is important. There's a scene in a bar that they have where they, uh, where uh, David meets uh, Hetty, who is uh, this 
French my last woman, name. <laughs> uh, Hedy Bouvier. Bouvier. I don't know how uh, you... Let me read. Yeah, I was, I, I'm just going with like the... Bouvier, I believe. Yeah, I was going with the Simpsons pronunciation because that's Marge's uh, last name before she married Homer. Marge Bouvier. Oh. Yeah. But, uh... Yes, so, uh... They, they kind of have a discussion. We meet her friends. Basically, uh, she feels responsible for, like, her ancestors. Basically, like, they ran, like, uh, I forget what kind of, uh, plantation it was. Uh, but they ran, like, a plantation in, like, Vietnam back in the day. And they're, like, responsible for, like, a lot of, like, the landmines that are around. So she wants to, like, kind of do her part and, like, kind of clean those up. So she found uh, this organization that's, like, dedicated to, like, going and finding these landmines and taking care of them so no one accidentally, like, gets fucked up. Uh, which will come full circle, because basically, uh, they go into the uh, the jungles, they get there, uh, their tour guide parts with them, he's basically like, I wish you guys would let me come along, I feel like it would be safer, but... Um, I guess I'll just meet you on the other side in a few days. Uh, and I, God, I really like their tour guide. He, he, he's a good character. Yeah. He like, they make a lot of like kind of racist comments in front of him, but he kind of just like rolls with a lot of it. He's just like, okay, I kind of get where they're coming from. So I'm not going to like, just be like super like in their face about it, but he, he tries to stay a good spirit throughout this whole thing, and they drag him through a lot of shit. <laughs> and he stays and he's like, pretty... I'm here. I'm, I'm up for it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Good guy. Good guy. I really like his actor, too. I want to see if he's in, like, some other stuff. Yeah, no. I, I, uh, I was really interested Apparently, to see he's, it. like, a martial arts choreographer. Oh, um, really? Yeah, like, uh... Apparently, he did some decent amount of stuff for The Protector. I don't know if you've heard of The Protector. It's a Tony Jaw movie. I've been meaning to watch it for a while. No. Tony Yaw, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, Tony, um, he, he's one of, like, the big, like, martial arts guys right now, along with, like, uh, eco-wise. Okay. I'm, lo- I'm looking at his body of work right now. This this is the only thing I I have seen him in or recognize the Wait, title of. He's a- Oh, I guess I guess I've heard of Cradle to the Grave, but I haven't seen it. Um, but yes. Anyway, so they Yo, go. Yo, he's a stunt man in Spider Man Two. Wait, what? He was a stunt man in Spider Man Two. Oh shit! Fuck, that's not on uh, the Wikipedia yeah. page that I'm looking at. But that that's badass. <laughs> like he the, the Spider Man Two, right? Like, yeah. Oh, good. I don't know what he did in it, but yeah, he did stunt work for Spider-Man 2 and uh, Jarhead. I've heard of Jarhead. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Um, but yeah, so basically, they go out. Um, we uh, we get this nice uh, scene where they seem like a Marvin Gaye song. Uh, the What's Happening, Brother. I, I like that song. Uh and then we see that Otis has um, this uh, Oxycontin prescription. And everyone... 
everyone's like, oh, man, what are you doing? <laughs> he's like, hey, dad, I'm a doctor. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Chill. Or he's the, he's not a doctor. But he, he was like a medic back in the uh, war. But uh, so, yeah. So basically, he's like, you know what? Fine. And he like dumps out all the pills right there. And he's like, I don't need this shit. Uh, and I, I thought that was going to be, like, a more prevalent, like, plot point, but it really wasn't, so. But, the, yeah. it, it does, the Oxycontin does pop its head back up again, it's just not quite in the way I was expecting. Um, but, uh, so basically, yeah, they're going through, they find the gold. Oh, um, there's, like, a night where they, like, camp, and, uh... They find that Otis has also brought a gun, and they're like, what What the fuck? Why didn't you, like, tell the rest of us we would have, like, brought a gun, too? And he's like, uh, I, you know, just, it was given to me. I don't think we'll need it, yada, yada. And basically, there's, like, this huge, like, argument about it. Uh, actually, like, a full-on, like, near fight. Uh, but they end up deciding to leave the gun with um, with uh, <laughs> Paul. Paul, and the they second give it to Paul. The second they did that, I was, oh, I sighed. I'm like, I know that this is gonna be like a plot relevant thing. This is the stupidest fucking decision they could have fucking made. Like, I wish, like God, it just like at that point. Like, it just feels like lazy film writing. Like, not saying that Spike Lee is, like, a lazy film writer or that this film even has, like, lazy writing. But that one aspect just really just upset me. It's like, no one in their right mind would give that guy a gun. Ugh. Yeah. So they give him the gun. And then they find, the next day, they find the gold. It's, like, spread, spread out, but they end up, like, tracking it all down. And then, um, uh, Eddie and Paul end up having this, like, argument over, like, what to do with the money, because, uh, Norman, back in the day, said that, like, he wanted to use the money for, like, black liberation, but Paul's like, you know, I'm gonna liberate my, you know, me, that's what I want, you know, and basically, like, there's just disagreement amongst the group. But then, uh, they're basically like, fuck, fuck arguing about it. Let, let's go find Norman. And they go and they find Norman. And this scene was extremely emotional. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I, I was tearing up a little bit. Like, it was a pretty sad scene. Like, they find, uh, they find his body and they like pull up the tags and confirm it's him and it's just sad and they're like this time we're not we're not leaving you behind you're coming home with us this time and it was just like oh shit but um yeah so shortly after that as they're basically like heading back towards the gold uh they're kind of like arguing again and then Eddie's basically like, oh, fuck, man. Like, I can't believe I thought, like, we would be, like, the Bloods again, but we're not. Like, things are different now, and he ends up, like, stepping on a landmine and spontaneously just blowing up and 
This, and then he has no... He's just a chest and a head, and he's dying, and then he dies. Yep. And, uh... Meanwhile, while, uh... Paul, Otis, and Melvin are kind of over... Look, like, checking up on him. Uh... uh David, David, uh, steps on a landmine, and, uh, I think this part's kind of dumb, too, because it's like, someone just steps on a landmine, and he goes, and he's kind of, like, pacing a bit in the back, and then he ends up stepping on it, and it's just like, why, like, clearly this is an area where there are active yeah. landmines. Why would you walk the around? The setup for that was pretty rough, but I thought the execution of the scene was pretty cool. Yeah. Like, I thought this um, fucking, uh, the heady coach shows up. Yep. With and, uh, her crew, which, um, the, the guy who plays Simon, uh, he, he's been getting some pretty big roles recently. Yeah, I've seen him in stuff, but I... He's in, like, uh, he's in, like, Richard Jewell. He's in Black Klansman. Oh, um, yeah, he plays that racist cop, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's... that's uh, no, no, I don't I think he's a racist cop. I think he's part of the, the KKK. I think. Uh, yeah. I gotta yeah, rewatch yeah, that yeah, yeah, he is, he is. He's the one with the, like, wife who ends up trying to, like, deliver that bomb to the mailbox. That's I remember right. that. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, basically... Yeah, they show up and they're like, okay, um... They don't really know what to do because they can, like, they, they find them and disarm them, but they can't really do cause anything because he's already stepped on it. So what they do is they tie a rope around them, and on three they pretty much, like, all eight of these, or seven of these people just, like, fucking tug him. Yeah. And, and he's alive! Yep, and uh, immediately Paul decides to repay them by helping save his son by Pointing a gun at him and forcing uh, David to tie them up. And, yeah, this is the point of the film where I was like, ugh, I don't really like the direction this is going. Um, I feel like it eventually, like, pulls itself back around, but there's a point around this point of the film where I was like, uh, why did they give him the gun? Yep. Um, so, yeah, so it's just... Everyone looks like an asshole because no one's really standing up to uh, Paul. Uh, and then later, later they end up like getting the gun from him. But it's still like a fucked situation. And they eventually work their way out of the jungle. Uh, Vin's waiting for him. But uh, they are immediately greeted by... Oh, uh, I guess, uh, what was that guy's name? Simon? No, not Simon. Simon. Uh, Seppo. Seppo. Yeah, so, uh, Seppo ends up, like, escaping at an earlier point, and then he gets dragged back with, like, uh, this group of, like, mercenaries who are posing as, like, law enforcement, but, um... But later on, we realize that they're actually just working with DeRoche, who is John Reno's character. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so basically, uh, they're like, we're going to just take the gold. And then they're like, we can share the gold. And it's like, no, 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 this is our gold. We're taking it. Which leads to conflict. Uh, 
Seppo ends up like running away and he steps on a landmine and blows up. Uh, and uh, yeah, so basically they take out like the majority of the mercenaries that showed up. One gets Except away, however. Pretty much the, the like leader of them. He gets yeah. away. Uh, so basically, uh, David was also shot uh, in the leg. So they're taking care of that. And basically, Paul takes, like, his half of the gold, and he's basically like, fuck you guys. You're all- He's not my son, he's a backstabber. Yeah, you all betrayed me, I'm leaving. And he goes off into the jungle by himself. Meanwhile, Vin and the rest of the crew decide to go to this, uh, it's like a temple that's, like, down the road. Um, so they go there, and they, like, hold up, expecting, like, all-out warfare- um, so David and Hetty are, like, just kind of chilling inside the temple. They get left with a gun. Uh, Otis gives them, or gives David some of his Oxycontin, because, uh, there's a point, like, earlier where, uh, I think it was Melvin who gave, uh, Otis back his Oxycontin. And I was like, oh, okay. I wonder when you picked that up, but sure. Uh... But yeah, so he gives it he gives it to uh, David here, and uh, yeah, basically, uh, Otis or not Otis, uh, Paul is out in the woods or out in the jungle. He gets bit by a snake and loses the gold on like this high up branch when he like falls down uh, a hill and uh, basically kind of wanders on his own, and he ends up seeing uh, Norman. And, uh, like Norm- pretty much like the ghost or the vision of Norman, yeah. Yeah. And Norman basically, like, tells, like, tells him it's all right. He forgives him. He understands it was an accident. And to, like, basically, like, let go of every, like, thing he's been holding into, like, holding inside all of these years. Uh, so, uh. And that's when it's revealed, like, very, like, that's when they show the events of yeah. that plane and stuff. And then. You can see that Paul has found some sort of inner peace with himself. Uh, But this is cut short when we see, like, basically, without even, like, seeing the scene where it happens, we see that he's been found by the mercenaries and they're making him dig his own grave. And, yeah, he he sings and gets shot and dies there and... Like, this this whole, like, sequence, like, between, like, right before he sees Norman to, like, the point where he dies is just, like, excellent acting. He, he gives, like, such a great performance. Um, but yeah, so then we cut back to the main group, and the mercenaries, like, show up, and they start firing on the place, and, um, the blood's, uh... They, they do a pretty good job wiping most of them out. Um, Jean Renault's character is still, like, running around by the end of it, and he ends up, like, tossing a grenade that Melvin ends up, like, jumping on and sacrifices himself to stop. And then Otis gets shot. Um, and yeah, then- Otis, Otis had just been shot, um, and... Then the grenade was thrown right uh, next to where Otis was and Melvin. That's when Melvin throws himself so that Otis doesn't die. Yeah. So Otis literally just watches his friend 
die, like, get exploded right next to him. Yeah. So, Jean is about to, like, kill Otis, but then uh, David shoots him from inside the temple. And, uh, yeah. So, they they survive. Um, they split the gold accordingly. Uh, we see that, um, basically, uh, uh, Seppo, Simon, and Hedy's cut all go towards her foundation for, like, finding the landmines. Um, we see that, uh, Eddie's cut goes to the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, Melvin's cut goes to his family. Uh, Otis, uh, gets his cut and he goes and he kind of, like, reunites with his daughter. Uh, Paul goes back to teaching. Or not Paul. David goes back to teaching. And, uh, we see that, like, Vin probably put his money, like, towards his, uh, company. Uh, yeah. Yep. And, yeah, we basically, uh, uh, this whole, like, ending bit where we see, like, everyone and what they, like, put their money towards we, is all read out by a letter that, uh, Otis gives to David from Paul. And it was basically written before the trip. It was supposed to be given to him, like, in case, like, he dies, which he did. Because he didn't expect Paul to come. Yeah. Or he didn't expect, uh, whatever his son's name was to come. Uh, David. Um. David, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, reads this letter where basically, like, Paul apologizes for, like, basically not loving him. Uh, there's another point that we kind of, like, skipped over where we find out that, like, uh, David... Uh, his birth killed his mother. So that was, like, on top of all of Paul's other trauma that just fed into, like, Paul basically, like, not showing his son, like, any love while he was growing up. And uh, he basically, like, apologizes for it and in the letter states, like, you know, despite all my problems deep down, you know, I love you. And, uh... Yeah. This film... This film's... I don't know. This film was kind of rough for me. Yeah, I, there there are bits that I really like about this one. Yeah. But there, there, there are some low points that I feel like really hold this one back. I felt like the... It's interesting, because I think from the production angle, this movie's really good. There's yes. some really good stuff. I really like how the... Um, the modern scenes were shot digitally, and the 1960s sequences were all shot on 16mm. Mm-hmm. And it, it switched between... Uh, aspect ratios. I thought that was really fun, and it was... uh, I think it looked really nice. I thought it was kind of neat that they had uh, the past version of themselves played by, like, the current day actors. Like, I thought that was was pretty cool. Yeah, because I think it really felt like it was like uh, they were thinking back on that time, and they just think of themselves as they are now, Mm -hmm. while the only way they can imagine Chadwick Boseman was how he is now. Like, how... That's all they ever knew Storm and Norman to be. He never got to live longer. I really like that. Um, yeah. But I just think that the, the writing I, I thought was uncharacteristically pretty bad. <laughs> At least at parts. Like, there are some good stuff. I really like the scenes between Paul and David. And I like Vin as a character. But Otis, Eddie, and Melvin, I thought were all pretty, like, 
underdeveloped, which is shocking because the movie's like two and hours and forty minutes. Yeah, this is a Otis. Very Otis long. less so. Otis had something going for him, but like even then. I didn't feel like outside of like, oh, I have a daughter. He really had much of a character. Yeah. I also didn't really like uh, the most the first action scene, the one that like was in Vietnam. I thought was really bad. I agree. I um, I, I, and I was like, uh oh. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this is this is. Some but really then the bad. last few action scenes, I thought were fan- I thought were like really well done. Yeah, much better compared uh, to that first one. Maybe not the the last one was was good, but I really like the one where um they first are like being attacked by uh those Vietnamese like mercenaries. Yeah, when they come right out of the before jungle. Seppo. Yeah, I really like that action scene. I thought that one was really good, but the first one I thought was like actively bad. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um yeah. Uh it's just, I, I did end up liking the movie, and I think that a lot of it comes down to how good Delroy Lindo is in it, but I just didn't like a lot of the writing. <laughs> and this movie felt like it was two hours and 40 minutes, or like 35 minutes, but like, it both felt like a lot of things should have been added, and a lot of things just didn't need to be there. Yeah. It was a weird one for me. Like, I liked it. But I was expecting to go in to love it, because, like, it, it's been getting a lot of praise, and it's just like, no, not, this wasn't great. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I like this movie, but it, I, I feel generally the same about it. Like, I pretty much let all, like, my gripes be known as I was, like, kind of talking about it throughout, but... Yeah, I've, some of the characters were undercooked. Not all the performances in it were, like, the best. Um, yeah, and I, honestly, I feel like most of that comes down to the the script for it. Like, there's yeah. not, like, there wasn't a lot for Norm Lewis or Clark Peters to really, or, like, I, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Like, they couldn't really do anything because their roles were just kind of nothingness to me. Yeah. It really Some of, and it, it it honestly just felt like they were cannon fodder at times. Yeah, really. <laughs> Which is unfortunate because I really like the themes of this movie, and I, like I think the movie in general looks fantastic a lot of the times. But. Oh, yes. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I don't think I really have much more yeah. to say about this one. What what would you give this one? Well, like a seven. Okay, I'm I'm gonna give it a six. I liked it, but you know, it's, it's just a just a little rough for me. Mm. Um, six point five though, still a good movie. I would still recommend it, and I think most people would probably like it a little more than me. Just some of those that writing, a lot of the writing, just really bothered. Nice. Um, do you have a do you have a ranking of the the movies we watched today? Oh. Uh. I wrote your ranking, and I've got my own personal ranking, so... Okay, I've, I've forgotten what your scores are, so I'm just gonna uh, guess. Um, ba- bamboozled Bottom. Uh, he got Game next. This. Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X. Yeah. Powerful. 
my my initial guess for you was uh, I figured Malcolm would be your top. I figured this might be your second. Do the right thing would be your third. He got game, and then uh, bamboozled would be like your bottom. <laughs> so mine was Malcolm X top. Do the right thing second. Bamboozled third. To five bloods fourth, and he got game fifth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, let's see if I have any other notes, because I did write some notes. Um, oh, I was watching a commencement speech that he did in like 2016, and he, in it, he's like, there are two words that are in almost every single film I have ever made. Wake up. And I thought that was neat. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's, that, that goes pretty well into the themes of his films. Like, he just wants to educate people. About like class and race consciousness, and people are like it's so controversial. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I think that it's interesting and very sad that uh, a lot of people are turned off. Like a lot of people in movie circles too. They're like, they'll remember Spike Lee for his old boy, and I'm like, that's really unfortunate because <laughs> he's made so many other good things, and I can't help but feel that a lot of uh, directors of color, they'll they'll be like more targeted for their bad movies than their good ones. Like it happened happened with Ava DuVernay as well. Uh, she did she did the documentary like the Thirteenth, which is I I still haven't seen it, but it's like critically acclaimed. Everyone's like this is like the greatest documentary ever. Selma was supo- supposed to be really good. And then she made fucking Wrinkle in Time, and that's all ever anyone talks about now. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, people ah. can make bad movies, but, like, and you can talk about their bad movies, but I feel like a lot of these actors, like, directors, that's all they're remembered for now. And that's very unfortunate, because Spike Lee, although some of these movies weren't my favorites, like, he has genuine passion, and I really like his directing style. Yeah, same here. Um, and I look forward to his future projects. I know he's, um, I don't know if this is his next project necessarily, but I know he's been, uh, assigned to a biopic of Frederick Douglass, which I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to watch some more Spike Lee movies. Yeah, there's a couple more I want to check out for sure. Um, yeah, I want to check out that, uh, The Four Little Girls, uh, Jungle Fever, uh, that uh, what's that one he did with Denzel? That's like a bank robbery movie. Inside Man. Inside I heard Man. Inside Man's fucking lit. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I want to. Uh, I almost picked Inside Man, but I'm like, I feel like that's not as relevant to like what I wanted this episode to be about. <laughs> yeah, I feel it. But yeah, um, Spike Lee's a good director. Go check out some of his movies. Yeah. He's a short little man, but he has a lot of passion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, starting from now, we're going to try to do our episodes a little more themed. A little, just so the movies we talk about are a little more connected somehow. Like, it doesn't matter how, just just somehow. <laughs> so, it doesn't just feel like we're just talking about two random-ass movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas, you you wanted to do something, right? Yeah. Uh, Do you want to do what we discussed last week, or do you want to perhaps take a mystery episode? 
I'm always going to pick mystery. Oh, God, you shouldn't have. Okay, we're watching <laughs> Buffalo 66 and the Brown Bunny. <laughs> you wanted me to pick that, Thomas. You know I'm going to say yes to mystery. Yeah, yeah. All right, so these are both by uh, Vincent Gallo, right? Yes. So, uh, and are they are they related? Like, are they sequels or anything? Or, uh, no, they're to my understanding, they're the only two feature length films he ever did, and there there's some like similarities between them. He's the star of both of them. Uh, think of it as like a mini director deep dive, just focusing on like two feature films. What's I'm sure, uh, I'm what's sure I'll promises written in water? I don't know if that's a feature. I know he's got like some like short documentary stuff he's done, but um, okay, cool. So yeah. you you love Buffalo sixty six, right? You really enjoy that movie. Um, I've seen it once. I remember really enjoying it, but then I watched Brown Bunny afterwards, and it made me question some of the things. <laughs> Buffalo sixty six. I like because so just looking at my letterbox, the Brown Bunny, I see multiple scores by friends. Of either one star, I mean half a star, or five out of five. It seems like a very divisive film here. Yeah. Um, watch. <laughs> We're going to like go into it, and you're going to be like, I love this movie. I'm going to be like, ah, I don't. Um, which which makes for good. Oh, good fuck, wait. Audio. Brown Bunny is the is the one that Robert Ebert. Rod, yes. <laughs> Roger Ebert. <laughs> said he fucking said i will one day be thin but vincent gallo will always be the director of the brown bunny <laughs> yeah no i love that quote from him because vincent gallo basically got upset and called him fat it's <laughs> like well yeah maybe but <laughs> cool so that's what we'll be looking at next week and then i'll i'll probably pick something funky for us to do afterwards so cool thanks everybody for watching another epic episode of screen wings we'll talk to you all later bye adios